1: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
2: Two o'clock, here we go. Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there. What's the word, my friends? Beautiful day out. Man, it is borderline hot outside. It's actually like, man, it's hot out here. Hope you be good. We got plenty to discuss on a Thursday edition of the show. Phillies in, like, um, one of their nightmares, Miami. That's where they'll be tonight, taking on the Marlins. After a uneasy, uneasy start to the season, which should have nobody in a panic, but certainly raises fair questions. We'll dive into them. Uh, Heath Bell, three-time Major League Baseball All-Star, the 2009 Saves leader. I want to get his thoughts on, you know, Aaron Nola was the third-place finisher In the 2018, correct me if I'm wrong, Cy Young Award race. This guy, as recently as 2018. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that 2018 was last year. I mean, we are now in 2022. It is getting pretty far from 2018. But what I want to know is, and what people think, of what happened to this guy. You know, when you draft a guy like Aaron Nola, he was not a middle-round pick. He wasn't a guy that you were like, wow, this guy turned out to be pretty good. He was the seventh pick of the draft. There was some anticipation that Aaron Nola would come up here, and as we discussed yesterday, not that he would be the ace of your staff, but that he would be a solid number two or number three, that he would be that guy that you can count on. Maybe not dominate, but you can count on him. Now it's becoming I can count when I can count on you. Less and less. Nola was a guy that in 2018 finally looked like a player that you drafted that you can start building around. He had a good 2017 with a 3.54 ERA. 184 strikeouts and 168 innings he seemed like a guy that I could count on 2018 he's 17 and 6 with a 237 ERA in 33 starts he pitched 221 in, 212 innings and had 224 strikeouts he was third in the Cy Young race he was 13th in the MVP race where did that guy go What happened to him? I mean, even the next season, fine. He's not number three in the Cy Young race, but he's got a 3.87 ERA. He's 12-7. and He's a dependable guy. 2019 is only three seasons ago. 2020, that was kind of a wonky, shortened season. But even in that shortened season... I'll take a guy in my rotation with a 3.28 ERA and a 1.0 whip. And now all of a sudden, in 2021 and 2022, he is a guy that I can basically say, you can't depend on this guy anymore. And if you can't depend on him, you can't have him slotted at number two in your rotation. And if he's not number two in your rotation, the Phillies have to reevaluate if they're pitching to strength or not. Because I can't sit here and tell you, yes, I trust Aaron Nola every fifth day. And that's one of the takeaways from the six-game stretch that we've had early in the season. Because he's pitched twice now. And no, two games doesn't mean that's who you are. But what about the 32 games he pitched in last year? The 32 games he pitched in last year suggest he's more of the guy you're seeing now than the guy you saw in 2018. And if you're not the guy in 2018, fine, I get it. You're third in the Cy Young race. I think that was the outlier. But now all of a sudden, it's no longer the outlier that you're the guy who can't get the job done. That's becoming the norm. And if that's going to be the norm for Aaron Nola, the Phillies need better. They're at a crossroads with him. He doesn't make a lot of money, and he's not all that old. He's 28 years old. He's in a serviceable contract. He signed for four years, $45 million. The team has an option on him next year. He signed through this season. We could be seeing the end of Aaron Nola in Philadelphia. And, you know, the other day we were talking about Alec Bohm. He was the third pick in the draft. Well, right now, the third pick in the draft is nondescript, and the guy who was the seventh pick in the draft is pretty nondescript. We already know Mickey Moniac, the first pick in the draft, hasn't worked out. And Adam Hastley, who was, I believe, a top 15 pick, he's already been traded. So you have four players drafted in the top 15, and two of them who are on your roster, most fans don't really know anything about. Nola is one of the more introverted, quiet guys you'll ever come across in Philadelphia. He was third in the Cy Young Award race, and no one's heard a peep from this guy. I get it. That shouldn't matter and doesn't matter. But when you're not performing, it takes more than, hey, uh, you know, I don't know why, and I thought I had my good stuff today. Aaron Nola's got to start facing the music because if he can't face the music, the Phillies have to figure out what to do to improve that spot in the rotation. He won't pitch in this series the next time we see him You know, you take a look at the next time we actually see Aaron Nola pitch in Philadelphia, it will be against the Brewers on Sunday Night Baseball. Another time, now he has a start on the road in between there. He's at Colorado. Colorado, not a great place to turn your woes around. And then you're on Sunday Night Baseball against maybe the best team in the National League in the Brewers. We could be looking at a situation where Aaron Nola is Really struggling numbers-wise. And when I say that, does he have value to anybody else? If the Phillies say, hey, maybe it's just one of those... Sometimes you get a trade where it's, hey, you take our disappointing high draft pick for your disappointing guy, and I don't know where that guy exists on another roster at this point. But does anybody else want the 28-year-old who is now establishing himself to kind of be, eh, maybe not even mediocre? If we were to describe Aaron Nola right now, are we even calling him mediocre? Because so far he's been, well, bad. And he was bad yesterday. It was one of the worst Nola starts that we've seen in this string of mediocrity where it tipped the scales from mediocrity to below average. That start yesterday was one of the more concerning ones because it was the first time you saw the guy... Who almost looked like, man, I can't even control my fastball, and it's not like this is a guy that has some overpowering fastball. He just couldn't spot it at all. Three walks, a hit batsman, in three and a third, he gave his team no shot to win yesterday. And when your pitcher goes out there and gives you no shot to win as many times as Nola has recently, I think it's cause for concern. I don't know if he's hurt. I hope he's not. But they got to figure it out quickly with Aaron Nola, the Phillies do, because they have a decision to make. As far as Nola goes, the Phillies have to make this decision because they have the team option for next year. And it's one of those situations. Do you just let him walk? Do you just swallow it up and say, hey, we tried with this guy or... Do you just acknowledge that he's not the pitcher you hoped he would be and maybe slot him deeper in your rotation? Is he okay to be a number 5 starter? Does he think of himself as a number 5 starter? Like, where is this going is kind of what I find to be interesting. Over the first six games, there's a couple little storylines I have in my head that I want to rattle off here. But I think Danola struggles in the first six game is at the top of my list.
3: The Nola problem is now going beyond just, hey, he's inconsistent. He literally has been a key factor in costing you two games already early this season. You could argue that if Nola pitches better, they might have had a chance to win both those games.
2: Well, if he pitched better yesterday, yeah. I mean, they came back in the game. Here's another problem. They're down 8-1 to in that game. Now, part of the reason they're down 8-1 to is because Nola really got behind early. I mean, he gives up the home run, and he loads the bases. Dominguez comes in. Uh, it's, what, 4-1, to one, I think, when he left the game yesterday. He gave up three runs yesterday. So they weren't, like, out of it, but you're constantly pitching from playing from behind. Uh, and, look, that's number two on my list. The Nola thing's at the top of my list. He's had two starts now, and neither one of them has he looked – Look, he didn't look terrible in the first start.
3: No, but it was obvious that he ran out of steam. They kept him in too long. And then in this game, he doesn't even get that deep.
2: Yeah, I, I mean – the first game of the year on opening day, mind you, he, he was the opening day starter for your fifth straight year. He did pitch six innings and had seven strikeouts. He didn't walk anybody. He gave up four runs. I mean, that's just an average day. His ERA is six. At the end of the day, if I say you have a six ERA, well, guess what? That's not too good. So even though he went six innings and had seven strikeouts, he gave up two homers and four earned runs. So that's not a good day. It's in, like, accessible. this wonky world that we live in today where baseball is allowed to just be, hey, give me six innings, some people might say that's acceptable. That's not acceptable for a top-of-the-rotation guy. And I'm yeah. not calling him an ace because he is certainly not the ace of this staff. We know that Zach Wheeler. He happened to pitch on opening day for the fifth straight year because Wheeler wasn't available. But Nola's not a two, and right now he's not a three. So... You have to try to start to read. So that's at the top of my list. First six games of the season. It's really your first full week of games here. What are some of the things that are on my list of, of, you know, takeaways? NOLA is at the top of my list because pitching matters the most, right? So that would be my number one. My number two, and I'm not saying that I think it's a problem, but this is a lineup that is going to be very streaky hot or very streaky cold, right? I think that's evident. And I say, well, that's evident through six games. No, I think history suggests that it's evident. Why? Well, you got a guy like Kyle Schwarber, who's not even really a leadoff guy, but he hit leadoff a lot. He's the only guy who's really hit leadoff in their careers on this roster, so they don't have another answer. But Schwarber, who is a notorious slow starter, right? This is a guy who has been a notorious slow starter. The question is, and I'm not sitting here saying, what a bust. Why'd they sign Schwarber? No, Schwarber will be fine. He's a guy that's going to deliver 25, 30 home runs. You know, he'll be on base a lot. His OBP uh, will probably be, you know, pretty good. But if I was, I was looking this up yesterday and last night, getting ready for the show today. If you look at his splits, because somebody was saying, well, who else, somebody asked who who else can lead off on this team? I said, I don't really have another guy. I think Segura has hit lead off a little bit in his career when he was in Seattle, but he's not ideal. Other than that, I don't really know that there's another standout option. But when you go back and look at Schwarber, in 100 games in the month of April, he's a 214 hitter. And in the month of May, he's a 200 hitter. This is who Kyle Schwarber is for the first two months of the season. He's a slow starter. So when you have a guy who is in a slump to start the season and it doesn't appear like it could end anytime soon, you're going to have an inconsistent lineup because you have a guy that you're counting on big time in Kyle Schwarber. So that's one. And I talk about this lineup being frustrating. I would say this. If you weren't a six-game skid in the middle of July, you're not. No one's going to be like, "Oh, this guy's really struggling." You're just in a six-game. Like, it's the ebbs and flow of a season. It's just that it's the first six games out of the gate that really stand out about this whole situation. Now, uh, Harper hit the opposite field home run. Maybe that kind of gets him going. Castellanos has been solid. He's hitting 333. he He's got a homer, but he does strike out a lot. He's got seven strikeouts in eight games. He's striking out almost once every game so far. I think the Phillies lineup is going to be fun but frustrating. That is what I take from the first six games. I think you're seeing that it's a lineup that is very, very streaky. It is going to strike out a lot. It's going to have days where it bops a bunch of homers. It's going to have days where you're going to score a lot of runs. It's going to have, you know, a week or two at a time where you're just, they can't get out. It's going to be a fun lineup. But there are going to be those days where you're like, man, this is tough to watch. Like Castellanos, by the way. he's on. He's been one of the, the, the hot guys right now. There's going to be a time when he gets cold. And you got to deal with that. But the big thing... You know, you look at the depth of this lineup. That should that should prevent them from being, you know, you're seeing the team get shut out in certain games. You know, they got shut out in the game the other day. They didn't score for the first, what, four or five innings yesterday. I don't think you're gonna see that happen. Over a prolonged period. Sure, you get shut out. That happens. Teams just don't score to have a day. there. But I don't think you're going to see prolonged times like that. This lineup is deep. But I think you will see prolonged, you know, slumps. You're in a six-game slump. That happens over 162. So I wouldn't worry about what you're seeing from Schwarber. I wouldn't worry what you're seeing from Harper. I wouldn't worry what you're seeing from Real Muto. Now, can you ask the question, is it time to worry about D.D.? He's hitting 158. How long do you give D.D.? He's not a great defensive player. He's okay. He's really struggling at the plate. How long does his leash? The other question would be, you know, what do you do with Bohm? Does he get – he's hitting the ball. He's been terrible defensively. Do you try him out at first base? Do you use Hoskins as your uh, designated hitter? Well, what does that mean for Castellano and Schwarber? Maybe you give Schwarber a day off and stuff like that. It's it's good that they have options and questions that can be asked and answers for those questions. One area, though, where I think through the first six games that we have to take a little microscope, unless you have a question, uh, do you have any question to add on the hitting?
3: Well, I wanted to ask, because you mentioned about the situation with the leadoff hitter. Is there a scenario where, just to use it as an example, because you mentioned earlier about... You know, what is going on in center field? Obviously, Vierling is the main guy right now with musiati as the backup. If Moniac was healthy, how would he, you think, factor into some of this? You know, is he a guy that you can put at maybe the eight or nine slot? Is he a two-slot guy? You know, would that change some of what could or couldn't be done with this lineup?
2: Um, yeah, but I don't think you can count on that yet. Okay. Right, is it fair to say, hey, I really know what I'm getting from Mickey Moniac? No idea, right?
3: No, but I just wonder what, if that would have changed anything at all.
2: I think he would play a little bit. I mean, how many times have they faced a right-handed pitcher? I think in those games, you would have seen Moniac in there. Now, would he come up there blistering hot like he was in spring training? I don't know. But I think he certainly would be given some more opportunities. Um, I can't sit here and say this team is three and three because the nine-hole hitter hasn't got a hit yet. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean did Veerling get a hit yesterday? I don't remember. But that's whatever it was, he hasn't hit much he had no hits entering well, the game. That's part yesterday. of the
3: problem with Veerling in general, and that is we we were told, we were sold this story of the combination of um Herrera and Veerling was comparable to a starting center fielder on another team. Well right now you're leaning just on Veerling and he's just been nondescript.
2: Yeah, but again, I go back to: Are you looking at it? Say this offense. You know, they're three and three, and the offense has kind of been eh so far because Vierling isn't holding his weight. I don't know about that.
3: Maybe not, but I just I would like to know if if, if some of these questions that we have about the lineup would be different if some of these guys were healthy. How that would change things.
2: I think the bigger thing is because you are getting some production from the bottom guys you're getting stuff from stott in fact he had a couple of ribbies yesterday um he seems like the bottom of the order guy that has given you a little something mm-hmm. you've gotten something when Kurt margo's been in the game he's hitting 500 when bohm has played he's hitting 600 so those lower up bottom half of the order guys they have been getting on base Driving runs home. In fact, if you look at the bottom of the order, Stott has three RBI. Veerling actually has two, even though he doesn't have a hit yet. Uh, Carmo- uh, Carma- Carmargo has been on base, uh, 500 clip. Boom, he's on base, 667 on base. Percentage. So those guys are getting on base. It has been, hey, Schwerber's up with the two bottom of the order guys on base, and he can't get them home. He's hitting 091 so far. Um and he has the home run on opening day and really hasn't done much else other than that. He has one other hit other than the opening day home run. Can't happen. Bryce Harper, 143, two RBI. The bottom of the order, guys, are on base for those guys. They're not driving them in. So I get your question with um, Veerling, who has reached base, what? He's walked once. And he has no hits. So he is on base 67 is his OBP. So not getting any production out of the nine-hole spot.
3: He's been invisible.
2: Yes, he has been. Um, but I think it's more the, the, the... You are getting guys at the bottom of the order on Stott, uh, Carmargo, Boehm. Even, like, I guess Segura's been hitting six... Now, Didi has struggled a little bit. So... Uh, I'm interested to see, hey, do they move Stott to short and give – I actually think uh, Camargo is – well, I don't think. I mean, it's obvious. He's the best defensive third baseman they have. Does he get more reps at third? Do you put Stott at short and start to, you know, phase DD out a little bit? I think that's something.
3: Really quick, another question I had was, how did you feel about them pinch-hitting bone two straight days now, late innings?
2: Um. Well, I think it's two things. One, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up because when it happened yesterday, I thought to myself, I don't want to see this become his role where he's like the hired bat off the bench where he gets one at bat a game. But I do think it shows some confidence that you are the guy they go to in that big spot. Like, hey, we need a big hit right here. You're the guy in that spot. You have to build somebody up for that spot in terms of mentally. Hey, you might not be playing today, but we still believe in you we need you in that and we're, we're waiting for the biggest spot of the game for you. Kind of give it to them in that light and see if they can run with it. And he hit the ball hard yesterday. He hit that ball right on the screws to second base. I think that was yesterday, maybe that was the day before where yeah, he, he ripped one.
3: His his approach at the plate these those two days was good. It wasn't like he went up there was flailing away.
2: Uh some text messages coming in 609-403-0973. 609 403 0973. Noah's a baffling player. He goes and ties Tom Seaver last year, then he turns into a minor league pitcher. I hope the Phillies can get some pitching because they do have a great lineup and will make a fun NL East with a legit three teams in the league. Well, look. Just because you go out and tie a historically great player doesn't mean you're that guy. We've seen many NBA players go out and pop 50 points in a game. That doesn't mean they're uh, Kobe Bryant. But you're right. Nola is baffling. Your point does go well-received. The fact that he has shown and, – and forget the Tom Seaver stuff. He had seven strikeouts on opening day. You know, there's times where he, he'll have ten strikeouts, and you're like, man, th- th- there he is. Is he back? And then his next start – he just seems like, in this text message, says, Mike, I'm not a Phillies fan, but it sounds like Nola might have psychological issues. Pitchers at any level sometimes go through those kind of issues. It's such a mental position. I don't know. Do you look at Nola and say that he, he's mentally not there?
3: No. I look at Nola and I see a guy that, you know, just, I don't know, that maybe it is mental, like not mental issues, but maybe mental fatigue. It just looks like when, when things start go they, they start um, – Avalanching, You know, the, the ball rolling down the hill. Mm-hmm. It feels like he doesn't know how to stop.
2: Well, them. I definitely don't think he has the mental makeup to be the guy. No. I don't think he's that guy.
3: But he almost every single year statistically, he has more strikeouts than innings pitched. Mm-hmm. To me, I said this yesterday, Mike. If you have a strikeout or more per inning pitch, that's a good sign that you have major league stuff. No question. He
2: has the stuff. Yesterday, he could not command that stuff.
3: And that's really, to me, what the problem is.
2: But, it's And it's been more than just yesterday. It. It's been more than just yesterday that he can't control us. That's part of the problem. Sports Bash is brought to you by the AC Airport. Plan your spring break getaway now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights. ACY goes to Boston, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low-cost flight at Spirit.com. We're just rocking and rolling, getting started. We'll talk a little pitching with former three-time Major League Baseball All-Star pitcher Heath Bell. In the 3 o'clock hour, Andrew DiCieco is football with 4. Keith Smith on the play-in games and the NBA. We've got uh, all that and more tonight on the Sports Bash. Plus, three more chances for you to qualify in 30 minutes. You'll hear the pick-your-trip sounder. Be caller number 7. Tell your friends. Get them all locked in. Tell them, hey, you want to listen at 355, 255, 355, 455, 555. Get as many people as you can. To call, and maybe somebody can win that trip that you know, and they'll take you for recommending them. How about that? I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 2.30 Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm Mike Gill. At Mike Show on Twitter. Uh, Chris Olave meeting with the Eagles today. That's according to Adam Schefter. That doesn't excite you?
3: No, because I feel like he's just a better version of Quez Watkins. He's duplicitous with Devonta Smith. The, the only reason I'm okay with the idea of Traylon Burks is because he is obviously a player that they don't have in need. Physically, talent-wise. I don't need a roster full of dudes who all do the same thing. Yeah, I mean,
2: I said yesterday I wouldn't be all that uh, pumped up for Olave. Not he might be news. good someplace else, but I don't know that he's the right fit here.
3: Correct. It's it's not that I dislike him in general. I just don't like him in Philadelphia. We have yeah. enough five eleven, six foot guys who all can run.
2: Yeah, Olave <laughs> uh, visiting the, the Eagles today. Um, the. Packers. i was trying to remember which team. The Packers, it looks like, signed Sammy Watkins.
3: Yes, Sammy Watkins. Now, would you have interest
2: in Watkins if the Eagles signed him? He's one of those guys, like, he was a super stud in college.
3: He was an amazing talent in college. He was a first high, was he like the seventh or fifth overall pick or whatever? Pretty high, yeah.
2: Clemson, right?
3: But then he just kept getting injured. Like, he just never, he had those two years where he was actually healthy. And you were like, okay, all right, but. Aside from those two years, he's just kind of been bouncing around. This is what is fifteen now, I think.
2: Yeah, he seems like and like has he really ever had that one year where you were like, well, in twenty, you know, he it just seems that he has not really ever had that breakout season. And now he just be kind of become that veteran guy. He must be a really good guy.
3: He's turning into a hired gun. Let's see here. Yeah, but the
2: hired gun that's not doing anything. He has six years in a row with less than 60 catches. But he
3: had the second year in Buffalo where he finally hit the board. He had nine receiving touchdowns that year. Then two years later in Los Angeles, he had eight receiving touchdowns. So he had two years where he was a guy that got you, you know, some scores. The problem is his numbers outside of those two years are just, eh, they're lukewarm.
2: All right. Uh, Yesterday we did mock draft stuff. Um, There's a seven-round mock draft up on our website right now. 97.3 ESPN.com. This is Jordan Reed over at ESPN. I actually like his seven-round mock for the Eagles. Like, if we walked away Sunday evening and that was the Eagles draft class, I'd be like, you know what? I think they did seven picks on defense. That's a lot. Seven of the ten, he went defense.
3: But, you know, it's not that unbelievable because we know of all the holes they have on that side.
2: No doubt. And the one thing that's interesting is they go defensive heavy in the mock draft. And they went Trent McDuffie, 15. Not your favorite, right?
3: Yeah. Well, I think Sal Pal hates him more than I do.
2: Well, Sal Pal don't like. Um, Sal don't
3: like any Pac 12 guys. Sal Powell's the most anti Pac 12 guy. My My beef with McDuffie is. I, I'm not a fan of the fact that he doesn't really play bigger than his size. If you're going to be that height and that body type, you got to play big.
2: You Karloftis, I mean? 18. It's all right. Just okay with that?
3: I think Karloftis has limitations. I, well, it
2: I, says that he doesn't fit into every defense, but feels that he's a good fit for John Gannon's defense.
3: I like Karloftis if you're not depending on him down in and down out. You know what I mean? Like you're not you're not looking into him to like you know yeah. be a three down, you know game changer.
2: All right, well uh, that's eighteen, second round Christian Harris fifty one. That's a linebacker that um, I wouldn't have a huge problem with.
3: I think Christian Harris makes sense because he's an all around linebacker. He's a guy who can theoretically be a three down guy, and we know that they want to go that go with that two linebacker package.
4: All right,
2: third round they have two picks. He went Wandale Robinson from Kentucky. Now I remember him more doing nothing at Nebraska, <laughs> as opposed to the thirteen hundred yards. He's small though. I mean, very he's like five seven.
3: Yeah he he would uh, he would make Greg Ward look very big.
2: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, he would be total slot guy. You know, there's a lot of draft people out there, people that are like, you know, that that are looking at the Eagles needs. There's a lot of people that think they need a defined slot guy. In other words, I guess they like Watkins as the role that he was in last year as the kind of the takeoff down the field, but you need a slot guy to kind of work the hashes.
3: I guess I I'm just wondering, I don't think they're wrong. I don't know if they're wrong, but I think that they, to me, this is my opinion. I think that, what they need more is a guy who's a defined outside guy because I think that Devontae Smith could be in the Eagles' offense what Cooper Cup was, a guy who just line him in the slot, line him in the outside, line him here, line him. I think Smith would be better utilized if you have a defined what Adam Jeff, uh, sorry, Adam Kaplan and Jeff Mosher called the X receiver on the inside of the bird's pod. All
2: right, then he went back to defense with pick 101. This is the pick they got, the extra one. From New Orleans in the trade. Cincinnati safety Brian Cook. Who he is kind of your physical um, in the box safety.
3: Yeah. Cook is, is Cook is like a younger version of Rodney McLeod basically.
2: So that would give the Eagles a corner in round one. And a safety in round three. Plus a defensive edge rusher uh, with Karloftis. And a linebacker. So you're going to all three levels of the defense with this particular mock draft. I like that. Third day of the draft goes in round four. Now, of course, you're starting to really start to shoot darts here, but uh, Zion McCollum from Sam Houston State, long guy, 6'2", 200 pounds, runs a 4'3", 40 time, 13 interceptions, small college guy. He's going to put up big numbers.
3: And but a corner
2: nonetheless. So that would be two years in a row they go corner in round four.
3: Yeah, and he's one of those guys that, you know, between, you know, those, you know, the, the shrine game and the – combine he's kind of starting to pop it on people's radar
2: then they have three picks in round five they go back to defense uh amare barno from virginia tech who was a freakish athlete four three forty time for a guy who's like six six two seventy five at the combine i mean might as well turn him into a tight end with those numbers (laughs) at pick one sixty two they go back to offense. Brian Robinson Jr., he's from Alabama, was really good. 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns, 35 catches. Uh, guy can, you know, be kind of a scat back, do it all.
3: The good thing with Robinson is, and even though he wouldn't be my pick, he's a little similar to uh, Zeus over at Georgia, white. They're, they're, they're not tall, but they're thick. So you know they can take the beating that you want them to if you need them to go get that third and two for you.
2: And then they, uh, with the third pick in the fifth round, they go offensive line. Cade Mays uh, from Virginia, big guy, 6'6", 328, but he's a particular right tackle. And they do kind of need a right tackle because we know Driscoll does not play right tackle.
3: Well, I mean, he can play right tackle. It's just not that- Driscoll. Dillard. Dillard doesn't play right tackle. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Driscoll can play right tackle, but the question is, will he be starting at guard?
3: Right. He might be starting at right guard. Yeah.
2: Because. I meant Dillard.
3: Um. My question is, I don't know if I was making this thing. I would be curious why they didn't go in offensive linemen sooner. I feel like Howie might get a, a guy like the fourth or fifth round.
2: Well, this is the fifth.
3: Oh, uh, okay. Like I you said, six. Sorry, my bad. No,
2: this is the third of their fifth round picks.
3: Oh, third of the fifth round. Picks.
2: Yep. Now in the sixth round, they do not have a pick. In the seventh round, they went D-tackle Chris Hinton from Michigan uh, to add more depth to the defensive line. There you go. Ten picks, seven on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Jordan Reed, ESPN.com NFL mock draft. I don't like Dane Brugler's over at the Athletic. He had the Eagles taking a punter in the fourth round. Now, that's one
3: that I throw out the window. Yeah, you're, you're doing a mock draft. You're taking punters. I'm, I'm out. I think Jordan Reed, of all the mocks I've seen this week so far, is probably the closest to what I think is likely for the Eagles.
2: It's a good question from Phil on the text board. He says, Mike, what's your take on taking a guy that fits with Gannon's system when there's a good possibility he'll get a head coaching job next year? Well, it's a good question. You got to take what you have in front of you right now. You can't, you know, this is like, It's funny that um, I'm having this conversation. I just switched to tile. And Zion McCollum is, somebody is tweeting about him being a prospect. And he was in the mock draft. And I, you know, he's Sam Houston State. And now he's all over my page for some reason. Is somebody listening? Like, is a big brother watching me? But to go back to the the thing, you can't draft thinking we might lose our coordinator. So I'm not going to take the guy that fits his system.
3: I would also throw in there that. It's not like Gannon's defense is, is, like, the most unique defense in the world. We don't know, though. Like, Jim Schwartz's, you know, wide nine is not commonly used in the league as much as the system that Gannon uses. The, the system that Gannon uses, it's similar to Zimmer, it's similar to Eberflus. It's got a little Belichick flavor in there. So it's not like his system, you can't find another guy who might be a similar run.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we don't know what Gannon wants to do. I don't think we've seen Gannon's full defense yet because I don't think he's had the right personnel. He's trying to get his personnel, and the question was, well, what if you get his personnel and then he takes off? There's two answers to that question. One, you try to find a guy who brings a defense to the table that would utilize the personnel that Gannon has, right? You would say, all right. Is there a guy on our staff that could be elevated def- to defensive coordinator?
3: Either that or you if you're going to find a guy outside the organization, you find a guy that maybe Sirianni says, hey, this guy I know is going to do something similar.
2: Right. I mean, you find somebody that, hey, these are our safeties. They work for you.
3: Like for and I know it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but Nick Saban feels like he's had 200 offense coordinators mm-hmm. at Alabama because every time he gets OC, the guy gets a head coaching job. He's a coaching factory down there. But what does he do? He's bringing in guys with similar systems. He's not bringing in, you know, one guy's running the air raid and the next guy is running, you know, ground and pound. You know, he's running, he's, the guys are running similar systems. They went from, at one point, Lane Kiffin to Steve Sarkisian. Well, they come from the same concepts.
2: Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? Uh, Mike and Josh Nola. He's not catfish. He's fishy cat. Unlike Max Scherzer, he won't challenge hitters when he gets into a jam. Overall, the Phillies have good starters and better bullpen this year. They do. But where does Nola fit into that? I think they have better starters, but like Gibson's a middle-to-back end of the starting rotation. Eflin's a middle-to-the-back end of the starting rotation. We're not sure what Ranger Suarez is. So... You need that guy after Wheeler who it's like in a playoff series, if you make the playoffs, that you got a duo. Right? You can't just have one guy and think you're going to be a team that can make a deep run in the World Series. Now, you can say, well, the Phillies won the World Series in 2008 where they didn't really have an ace. Hamels pitched like an ace.
3: He pitched like an ace. and Also, people forget how well Jamie Moyer did pitch that year. It's not like Moyer went out there with some, some stiff with a 12-12 record.
2: That's right. So NOLA's not been as good as Moyer.
3: You need NOLA to go out there and give you 14, 15 wins in like a a 3, 5 ERA. Not a 6.
2: Nope. 6 no good. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Download the app in the Apple Store, Google Play. And coming up in 12 minutes from now, another chance to pick your trip. We'll do a qualifier this hour. You can win a road trip to an Eagles 2022 road game this season. Coming up in 12 minutes. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike
1: Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's Sports
2: Leader. Right. Philly's lineup is Nobody out, a freshie for today. To and not a lot of changes. In fact, I think this might be the same lineup they used yesterday. Maybe I'm wrong. Schwarber in left, Relmuto catching, Harper in right, Castellanos the DH, Hoskins at first, DD at short, Camargo at third, Stott at second, Veerling in center field, Kyle Gibson on the mound for the Phillies. That is your Phillies lineup. 645. Versus the Marlins in Miami tonight. It's uh, Sandy, uh, I think Alcantara, right? Sandy Alcantara's pitch. I was just making sure it was him. Uh, I thought it was Sandy Alcantara is pitching versus Kyle Gibson. Alcantara, he's tough. Um, he's probably their best guy. Gibson, twenty minutes from now, and um, playing games last night. I got to tell you, I have been one that has been somewhat concerned about the Hawks? Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going to upset the Heat, but wouldn't you be a little concerned? Now, they got to play Cleveland on Friday. I get that. But would you want to play the Hawks?
3: Depends on who I am. I think the Hawks took advantage of a Charlotte team that played like garbage last night. You know, they, they came out there and took advantage of a Charlotte team that basically gave LaMelo Ball no support. His supporting cast most of the year has been a key to them winning games. And between Bridges and everybody else, they didn't give him Rozier. They didn't do much. No, they didn't. And, and I'll the give Hawks you that. And the Hawks just said, you want to give him Anything? We're going to show you that we have a better supporting cast. Take this punch yeah. to the face.
2: And it wasn't like Trey Young absolutely destroyed him. He did not shoot the ball no, well guys last night.
3: Like it was like
2: Game there. Seven against the Sixers. Yes, Huter. Oh man, Bogdanovich, Hunter. It was just guys from all over. That yeah, like was, John
3: Collins on the bench just chilling.
2: That Hawks team last night reminded me of the one we saw in the Sixers series, where they got contributions from Gallinari, Capella, Hunter, Huter. They basically um, got contributions from everybody.
3: Everybody had an opportunity to contribute.
2: Yeah. Um, so they'll play Cleveland on Friday Cleveland, night. this is for you. And we have that game for you on 97.3 ESPN. The other game, you had uh, New Orleans win, right? They beat the Spurs last night. So now the uh, the Pelicans will play the Clippers. And the winner of that game will play Phoenix. Correct. Now, there is some, some talk that if New Orleans wins, they might get Zion back. And there's also some talk if the Clippers win, they could get Kawhi back. Which is interesting. Both would be interesting.
3: So, for those who don't know, there was that video, ESPN kept playing again and again, of Zion doing 360 dunks before game time. Yeah. And basically, the guys on the ESPN set were saying, this is ridiculous. This guy can go out there and dunk. In pregame, but he can't play. You know, it's
2: like at this point they're in this playing tournament. Why wouldn't he be back there playing? I don't yeah, know.
3: What's what's holding him back?
2: No, and I don't know about Kawhi. I don't think he'll end up playing.
3: I think Kawhi won't be back till next year.
2: I would think that Kawhi will not be back till next year. The Zion thing is kind of more interesting, I think, because he's actually. It's almost like he would like to come back. The way that he's putting these, you know, he put that dunk out like two weeks ago.
3: Well, yeah, he did that 360 dunk. Like, you knew when he did that dunk. He looked around like, did the cameras see that? Did the Mm -hmm. cameras see that? Like, it's almost like he's trying to do stuff so people see him.
2: That Brandon Ingram dunk last night was unbelievable.
3: What was more unbelievable is, remember, he missed a bunch of games with a hamstring issue. Well, he was
2: awesome last night. And he
3: went out there and was like, I'm dunking this ball. I am 100% healthy. Get out of the way.
2: Well, I thought what was most impressive about Ingram last night, he scored 27. I don't think he hit a three. I mean, you think of Ingram, you typically think of a guy who is pretty much a one-dimensional guy, like a three-point shooter. He found multiple ways to score last night. He scored from all levels last night. Didn't get to the line all that much. I mean, he just had a good night. And then C.J. McCollum, man, he has really resurrected this New Orleans team. Uh, He had 32 in the game last night. He had three threes. He had seven assists. And The
3: assists were the big
2: thing to me. The
3: I, fact that he was just, like, finding guys. Like he's not even a point guard. He was out there distributing.
2: Well, my buddy had said to me, McCollum's the guy I wanted, you know. <laughs> he's one of those. Well, I mean, and then you saw him play <laughs> last night. I mean, you're like, oh, you know, this guy wasn't bad. Now, McCollum's a disaster defensively, but that isn't to say that James Harden's a great defensive player. So, no. no, McCollum had a great game. Ingram had a good game. Uh, but I – now the question is, you got Clippers – Pelicans, that game's in L.A. I'm leaning Pelicans, honestly. The way that... The way... New Orleans crowd was rocking last night.
3: They were wild last night. They were into
2: that game last night. I
3: think if... I think the Pelicans... If they can shoot anywhere close to what they did last night on Friday, I think they beat the Clippers. I think the Clippers... With just Paul Georgia Company or just I don't know they have that offensive firepower.
2: Okay, then you have the other storyline of the day, which has been this Ben Simmons. I know we were all tired of hearing about Ben Simmons all season long, and he hasn't played yet. But
3: He's got more you know, social media posts about him practicing. There was remember I had
2: mentioned that maybe he could be a guy that plays like fifteen to twenty five minutes mm-hmm. and just plays defense. You don't have to ask him to shoot or do anything. And that that's like what his role could be this particular season. You don't have to really infiltrate him into your offense or anything. you just got to have him come in. That team needs defensive help in the worst way. Now they're going to play Boston, having Ben Simmons possibly they're saying what around game four, that he four might and be ready six. yeah that's
3: what they were saying.
2: Now, number one, do you think that Simmons will actually be ready
3: to play?: Here's my question. I'm going to ask you a question with a question. Fine. How much do you believe that he actually has a back problem?
2: He has had a history of some back issues. I mean, he missed time when he was a Philly, he missed the playoffs what in 2019 with that back in, problem. Well,
3: in, in the Yeah, he missed in the 2019 bubble. also also the bubble as well.
2: That was the bubble year, I'm saying. He missed those playoffs.
3: But he missed the year before with some some back. He got hurt. Remember
2: he, he got hurt at the uh NBA All-Star game. It was in Miami and he played in the All-Star game, but then he he played like the first game out of the break or something like that, and then he missed a bunch of games after that with this back. So, he has had a history of some back issues. Now, some people have suggested that, hey, if you have back issues and you haven't done any basketball activities, and then you try to ramp up your basketball activities, well, you're going to re-kind of rekindle rekindle that back problem. So do I think he has back injuries? I think you're suggesting the guy doesn't love playing, he just is happy sitting this one out. Is that what you're saying?
3: I think Ben Simmons plays the game of basketball for the paycheck and not for the game.
2: Okay. Um I'm not like going to debunk that at all, but I definitely think he has had back issues in the past, right? I think we can agree on that.
3: Yes. I just I'm I would like to have a little more information because it seems very convenient some of these reasons why he's not been able to get on the court. You know what I mean? You know, like, for example, I still I still believe that when Doc threw him out of practice all those months ago, I think he wanted to be thrown on purpose. I think he was like, I don't, don't want to be here. Oh, I,
2: I can agree with that. Now, the fact that was Shams reporting this, does that tell you that you think it's coming from a credible side that – he said Simmons is targeting a return between games 4 and 6. Windhorst reported something similar this morning. So it sounds like Ben Simmons is going to be some sort of a factor in this series.
3: I trust Brian Windhorst and Brandon Scoop Robinson more than Shams when it comes to Ben Simmons.
2: Because yeah, but this is positive Ben Simmons news.
3: Doesn't matter. Anything coming out of Shams' mouth concerning Ben Simmons, I don't trust it. Yeah, but why would his
2: side give Shams... Bad playing. Like, hey, put out
3: there that he's going to get ready to play. And then he's not ready to play. That would make him look terrible. I just think – to me, shams to Ben Simmons is Ian Rathport to the Eagles. I'm just skeptical.
2: Okay. I can understand being skeptical in some instances. This one would seem to be, hey, he's going to come back and play.
3: Well, the story's been corroborated by other people at least. So it <laughs> makes me feel a
2: little better. Right. I mean <laughs> – so, I had said a while back that, hey, I could see him playing a role where he's playing like 15 to 20, 25 minutes, and he just focuses in on defense.
3: I think if Ben Simmons is coming off the bench and giving you about 20 minutes a night, I think he can have an impact for the Nets for sure. I just would like to know, my question is, when he comes into the game, who's he coming in for? Like, is he coming in for Bruce Brown?
2: Well, he's going to take that James uh, Johnson role. They just released him. Okay. I would think he'd be the guy that comes in for, like, 20 minutes and just kind of fills that role. Because
3: typically the lineup lately has been what? Kyrie, Bruce Brown, Durant, Drummond, and then pick your choice of the other guy kind of thing in the, the Nets lineup. hmm So does, you know, when Bruce Brown – because Brown's in there mostly for defense. Yeah. Brown, Brown but plays But in a, in a role. series
2: against the Celtics, <laughs> now you could say to Ben Simmons, hey, give me your best 20 minutes against Jason Tatum.
3: Right, or whoever's on the floor at that mo- point in time.
2: I would think they would be like hockey. They would put him out there. Like, they would try to match him up. Well, if that's the case, do you maybe start him? Well, it doesn't matter. Tatum's going to be out there 38 minutes a game. So sure. you pick out the 38 minutes. You pick out the 20 minutes that you want Simmons to match up
3: with him. The other question is, do you leave – do you leave Simmons on the floor when Kyrie is on the floor, or do you give Kyrie a break and let Ben become the ball handler on
2: offense? We've um, been playing Ben for 15 minutes. I mean, that means Kyrie. You know, that's about about 15 to 12 minute break.
3: Because we know that Patty Mills and Ben Simmons have played on the national team together, mm-hmm. so they have a, a familiarity already together. Yeah, and Durant. Durant's just such a great player; he can play with anybody. Doesn't matter.
2: Uh, this is what Brian Windhorst said this morning regarding ben simmons role and if he can make a difference in the series
5: if you tell me that that ben simmons can give them 10 minutes and build in a buffer of maybe a few dozen possessions of improved defense that could turn things for them whether he can do that whether or not they wouldn't just hack a ben and put him on the line because That's something that I think would prevent him from playing late in games right now until he proved he could do it, and that would be a tough position to put him in. I mean, that's the first thing I think the Celtics would do, you know, as soon as they saw Ben Simmons active, is to get their hack of Ben strategy ready. But, I mean, I can't deny that that difference, that injection of defensive playmaking could be a difference maker.
2: See, uh, that's a lot of good stuff right there because, hey, if he can give you 15 to 20, he's a difference maker in that series because you're not – Notice, he didn't say anything about helping them score. Brooklyn doesn't need Ben Simmons to score. The Sixers did. Brooklyn needs Ben Simmons to be Ben Simmons. That wasn't good enough for the Sixers.
3: First of all, I think it needs to be more than 10 minutes. I think Wendy's... Well, he said
2: 15 to 20. Well, he
3: said that the early part of the audio was he said 10 minutes. Get the 10 minutes. If you get 20 minutes out of Ben Simmons a night, and he's out there playing defense, getting rebounds, leading a couple fast breaks, dishing some assists, I think he's more than worth it to have on the floor for this Nets team. Especially, in as you mentioned, a Celtics team with Tatum and Brown and Smart. Those three guys, when they're firing on all cylinders, Celtics are borderline unbeatable. So if you get one of those guys to have it off night, And Ben Simmons can be a part of that with Bruce Brown. Maybe they're a tandem. It allows Durant to have to play less defense to wear himself out.
2: That's the big thing. And then his other point was, all right, if you're Boston and Simmons comes out there for those 15 to 20 minutes, do you take the liberty of playing hack of Ben? He hasn't towed the line in an NBA game since what? The last time he played a game in Philly
3: the only problem with the hack of ben is you're you're completely bringing to a halt the the flow of the game. So is Boston willing to sacrifice what might be offensive rhythm to just keep sticking ben on the line?
2: Well, does it preclude them from playing him at certain points of the game if Boston's going to say, "Hey, we're just going to we're just going to send ben to the line."
3: I mean, at least you know Typically in the past, when has the hack of Ben been? It's been in the fourth quarter, right? You know, you're not typically doing it in the first quarter,
2: right? Exactly. But if he's only getting 15 minutes, are you going to say, "Hey, if you're going to put him out there, we're going to make him shoot free throws"? I mean, no they, matter when it is.
3: I mean, if that's the case, then that's you can't play him at all. Then
2: right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, and keep in mind, who's the coach of the Celtics? Udoka was. Who was where? San Antonio and. Philadelphia with Brett Brown. He was with Philadelphia last year.
3: Two years ago, wasn't it?
2: I think he was with Philadelphia last year.
3: Because Doc was here
2: last year, wasn't he? Yeah, but I think he got hired off Doc's staff. Right? This is his first year in Boston. He wasn't out of the league. I think he was with Doc last year. Doc replaced him with Dan Burke this year. if, If I'm remembering this. Dave Yeager was already on board, I think. Right. They brought Dan Burke in. I could be wrong, but...
3: He was with the Nets last year. He was in Philadelphia with Brett Brown... He was with Nets' assistant last okay, year. Okay,
2: so he was with Brooklyn last year. All right, but he knows Ben. My point he knows is, Ben he Simmons. He knows Ben Simmons. Yeah. He knows how frail Ben Simmons can be. I thought he was here last year and saw him become as frail as he's ever been.
3: Well, I sold the Eastern Conference. You see the guy right, almost, multiple listen, times a year. The fact
2: that he wasn't here last year doesn't minimize the fact that he knows Ben Simmons pretty well. Yeah. Right? He knows that, hey, let's challenge this guy. Let's see if he. But on the flip side of that, I don't know that you're going to just start setting Ben Simmons in a line midway through the
3: first quarter. No, I can't see them doing that. That's why I'm saying to me, if you say, Ben, you're going to play five minutes in each of the first three quarters, and then the fourth quarter will figure it out, I think I'm still getting some positive contribution.
2: Sports Baz brought to you by the pros at Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at phillysportstrips.com. Find out where the Philly sports teams are going. Go to phillysportstrips.com. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. When we come back, what's wrong with Aaron Nola? A former Major League pitcher tells us coming up next. Here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
1: Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All
2: right, 325 Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN Atlantic City. What's up, everybody? Phillies tonight, they play the Marlins. You uh, heard a lot of conversation about Kershaw and that whole situation yesterday. I hate the DH. We can talk about that. Heath Bell, three-time All-Star. Now, he never started a game as a pitcher, so he might not care about the DH. Uh, He's host of Ring the Bell on the Believe Podcast Network, 2009 National League Save Leader. Talk a little baseball right now. Just remember Heath Bell sprinting out of the bullpen, and I um, would say, man, he's got to be tired as hell because I know I would be tired as hell running from he not running he was sprinting uh on the field and uh, we'll talk a little baseball with Heath bell right now on the sports bash live 97.3 espn heath what's going on man
5: oh not much just thinking about me uh sprinting out there in the
2: bullpen as they all start you know there's a bunch of bees in the bullpen that's why i took off running and then it just stuck i guess right i mean it, you, that was yeah. like your trademark for a while
5: yeah that just it kind of came in when i first closed after trevor hoffman uh
4: I uh,
2: went to Milwaukee Brewers. I oh, we lost. Did we you got. Do we got you?
4: Uh,
2: I feel like we have them, kind of, but maybe Josh, you could pick up and see if you got them there. We're talking about the Milwaukee Brewers, something there. Uh, by the way, Heath Bell was the. Uh, Save leader with 42 saves in 2009. He followed that year up in 2010 with 47 saves. He had 43 saves in 2011. I want to get his thoughts on the Kershaw stuff. I want to get his thoughts on what he sees from a guy like Aaron Nola uh, and just pitching in general in today's game and how it's changed so much. This is a guy who was a closer. Why being a bullpen guy is so difficult? All right, let's bring him back. Now, we lost you a little bit there. You were mentioning something about Milwaukee. Oh,
5: so... Um... Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we got you. We got you. Okay, so Trevor Hoffman went to Milwaukee. So when I started closing, I usually ran in kind of firmly, and then the crowd kind of went nuts, and I just kind of started.
2: No, I think we lost you again. It's like we can kind of hear him somewhere back there. Um, There you go. Can you
5: hear me now?
2: I got you. We got you.
5: I have no idea. My phone is I'm. Kind of, I'm at my mom's house in Texas. Hey, mom. She kind of she kind of lives in the middle of nowhere.
2: So <laughs> I hear you. Well, he's happy Easter to mom and everybody uh, in the Bell family. So you were running out on the field, and then it just kind of happened. And then, hey, you turned into a three-time All Star, 42 saves, 47 <laughs> saves, 43 saves. Just kind of give us um, your thought. Like you, you saw this Kershaw stuff. You were a closer though. So do you have like a mindset of like where he was? Um, you heard what he said. He said, ah, I kind of get it. But could you imagine yourself coming out of that game yesterday?
5: No. I mean, I respect him um, very highly. I know Kurt Clayton really well. and But, man, if I was in that situation, and even if my arm was tired, I'd be throwing the ball up like, you know, rocking chalk, softball, You kind of like position players, how they just lob the ball in there. Yeah. I'd be doing that. I mean, they they get three out sometimes with nobody getting hit. So it's yeah. just you know, I I can't see myself taken out of the game. I understand why he did. I respect why he did it. Me personally, heck no, I'm not doing that. I'm staying in that game. Yeah, you I know, mean love of the game. Kevin Costner, go out there and throw it. I got nothing. Yeah.
2: Let's go. I, now he's at eighty pitches. Now I, I'm not like I, I hate pitch count and the way we're so married to it. But hey, look. You start the inning, and if you feel like you just, you know, let us know. Like, he has earned that right, don't you think?
5: Oh, totally. But you know what? I think what's going through Clayton's head is the last couple of years he's been injury-prone. He wants to, you know, start in 35 starts, um, go into the playoffs. He wants to be one of the main guys that he was four years ago to carry that team. Kind of what Max Scherzer is doing right now the last couple of years. He wants to be that guy and not be injury prone like he has in the last two years. So I think that's exactly what he's thinking. Like, I want to do this every single game I go out there. All, you know, 30-plus starts, not just my first one.
2: Thirteen. So that's
5: you. why I respect him. But it's, gosh, I, I I just can't do that.
2: Yeah, I couldn't either. <laughs> 13 strikeouts, uh, perfect game he had. I mean, it's only been done 23 times. By the way, uh, last night, something almost more rare happened, which was Vlad Guerrero, if he would have hit four home runs, you know that has happened less times in a perfect game that someone's hit four homers in a
4: game?
5: No, but I can imagine. I'm, I'm just... Happy that Junior did, you know, hit three home runs, and Dad never hit three home runs. So, I, I think Junior can always go, what's up, Dad? I
2: know everybody loves you, but... He had a chance, too. He came up in the ninth with a chance to win the game for his fourth home run. All right, Heath Bell, I want to ask you, um, I don't know how much you get to see of the Phillies out, you know, from day to day, but a guy like Aaron Nola is very puzzling, all right? This guy uh-huh. was third in the Cy Young Award race in 2018. I mean, he has a 2.35 ERA. And since that year, I don't know what happened. Like, have you ever seen a guy where you're like, my God, this guy was at the top of the mountain for a, a one year, and then he just kind of disappeared?
5: It, it happens occasionally here and there. It, you know, it, it's mental. I think he's, he's trying to get back to there where maybe the best thing for him to do is, you know, before he had that stellar year, what were you thinking? Can you remember? And let's just focus on that. You know, if you were just thinking, Hey, I'm just trying to get the ball down and or if I'm just trying to get to the big leagues or I'm just, you know, trying to throw more strikes than balls, do that. And then you can become the player that you were. Don't try to become the player that you were that great year. Try to go back to the basics, you know, go back to what'd you what you do in little league? What'd you do in high school and college, you know, to get to that point and just focus on that stuff. I mean, he's he's probably pressed and he's probably trying really hard. You know super hard to get back there and it just you know when you're pressed in and you're trying to do be perfect you can't be perfect i'm pretty sure clayton kershaw wasn't trying to go out and be perfect mm-hmm. and he had a perfect game so Nolan, he just needs to go out there and you know try to find out what that rhythm that he had beforehand uh before 18 when he was just stellar and mm-hmm. That's that's my best advice for him. I really do.
2: Yeah, you know because like you know, and you want like you you probably know now. You played in New York early in your career with the Mets, so you'd have some idea Mm -hmm. what it's like to play in a market like Philadelphia, where he was the seventh pick. Then he's third in the Cy Young. So now every time he goes out, they feel like his performance should be Cy Young worthy, and I wonder if he just doesn't have that makeup.
5: Well, maybe he just it's maybe it's just weight on him. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I will say Philly. At, at all the ballparks, everybody always goes, you know, Petco Park. I mean, um, yeah, Petco out in San Diego. Best ballpark is your favorite ballpark. But what besides that? Uh, Philly, because the fans were so into it. I mean, if the Phillies are doing bad, they'll let you know. If the visiting team does bad, they'll let you know. They're Philly's fans. And the Phillies ballpark is, the, I think, the beautiful, beautiful ballpark out there. And people always ask me, really? And I, and I say, well, I sit in the bullpen, so I'm sitting in the outfield. So I judge the ballpark from, you know, looking from the outfield in, and it just looks awesome. But um, Philly fans are tough. You know, they just – they want they want you to go out there and perform the best of your ability, and they don't like it when you don't perform your best.
2: I mean, that's for, it, just, it happens. That's for certain, and not everybody can handle it. We know that. Uh, sometimes it drives people right on out of here. Uh, you just mentioned you're sitting in the bullpen. I'd love for you to kind of give some insight to our listeners what goes on out there during the course of the game?
5: Uh, well, the, the motto is ha- let's have some fun and don't get caught. But, I mean, if you're talking about <laughs> uh, what, what we're doing at, what we're doing in Philly, um, you know, you're talking to the fans. You're jarring back with them. They're yelling at you, saying, you know, not so nice things. I don't want to stay on air. But then you kind of say it right back to them. And what I can't say, they'll be like, you know, <laughs> Bell, like me, I was always a bigger guy. And they're like, Bell, how many cheesesteaks you had? <laughs> you probably had seven of them and I'm like no I had eight of them and I'm gonna have two more after the game and then all of a sudden they would turn on me and be like I love you uh, let's go have beers I'm like where are we going yeah so um, it's it's fun down there I mean I really wish I was I was still playing the last couple of years if I was younger I probably still would be but the thing is because like the last couple of years you know they have the fun um, the videos in the bullpen, and guys are doing stuff back and forth. When I was playing, we really weren't—we weren't allowed to, you know, get caught on TV having too much fun because we had to be serious. But we we would have a lot of fun out there. We'd do a lot of
2: funny and quirky things and pull around with some fans, fool around with players. That's great. You know, uh, Heath Bell's with us. Former uh, Padres closer, three-time All-Star, was the uh, saves leader. Um, let me ask you about, I don't know if you saw this. So Alec Bone the other night, the third baseman, he, he makes an error, three errors in one inning. He's had a rough go at third base, uh, let's be honest. He, he He's no gold glover over there, all right? So he makes a throwing Hi. error, and he gets caught on camera saying, I hate this bleep in place. So he gets asked, oh he gets asked after the game, hey, you said you hate it here. And he said, you know, well, you know, I got caught in the moment, my emotions, you know. So he really does hate it here, right? He just is trying to cover up and own up to the fact. So here's the thing, Heath. He says, I hate it here. He then admits that he says it, and then he says, I didn't really mean it. He comes up the bat the next night and gets a standing ovation. What a bizarre situation, right? That's silly for you, baby. That's all <laughs> I got to say. That's, they love when you
5: are real. When you're fake, they know. It. When you are real, man, Philly will embrace you like no other. And I was always on the road. So, and they embraced me because I was always real messing around with them. And um, I think that's what they're doing. They, he's just real, so they embraced him. And I think he'll probably feel more comfortable, and then he'll probably end up loving it there. Right, Watch.
2: exactly. I said, like, it could be his aha moment that – I love that Mm -hmm. you said that, Heath, because it's like they're not booing Alec Bohm. They're booing the play that Alec Bohm made. And it's hard as a professional athlete, I guess, to differentiate that sometimes.
5: I think you got to be a little bit different because you always, everybody wants everybody to like them, but some people don't care if you like them or not. And I think that's kind of the breed that you kind of need to be in Philly. It's like, man, I'm a great guy. I don't care if you like me or not, but I know I'm a great guy. You know? So, and I think that's just how Philly
2: is. That's how I feel. That's how I feel every day doing this job. I don't care if you like me or not. You want to have a beer and a cheesesteak with me? I'll be, I'll hang out with you. Sounds like you and I could hang out together, Heath Bell. Um, Oh, definitely. (laughs) I think, um, I'd love to get your take to where the game is today. We had the lockout, and it, like we're past it, but like we talk about pitch counts and everything that's happened. Like, Is this your style of baseball, or do you think it was better, or is it, does it matter? Like, what are your take on where the game is right now?
5: Uh, man, I hope the game starts veering back a little bit to where the game was 15, 20 years ago. I mean... And we're all caught up on this, the exit velo, the launch angle, how many pitches, how many rotations the ball does, this and that. How about, does this guy get out? Does this guy get on base? Does he hit a home run? Who cares if if he hits a 200-mile-an-hour home run or a 100-mile-an-hour home run? It's still a home run. It went over the fence. Yeah. So it's just one of those, when you start trying to analytics every single thing, then all of a sudden the, the, the passion, the passion, the mystique of the game is kind of disappearing, so I really I think some teams in the next couple of years are going to start going back to baseball ish a little bit more because the cyber metrics everybody's using it like you're when you're pitching you you got to you got to establish your fastball and then you get then you can be a good pitcher but then you got to throw your curveball and your changeup other pitches you know your secondary pitches um, for the last couple of years I think cyber metrics are quest tag or whatever they're going to call it all the numbers in the game they're using that as your fastball you if you can use it as your secondary pitch and lead off baseball knowledge and then use that as your secondary baseball knowledge then i think it will help and it'll work but if you're using it as your number one baseball knowledge it's not going to work and you can see a lot of teams it doesn't work you know may work for a month but it's not going to work for a marathon season six months so you know I, i don't like the direction it's going you know i'm a i like the pitcher hitting I, I get it, DH, and it's a little bit more fun, but I just, I like the mistake because then it's a chess game. It's, you know, Clayton Kershaw's throwing a perfect game, you know, uh, a couple of days, two months down the road. His stop, his spot's coming up in the eighth inning with a guy on second, with two outs, and the score is 0 0. What are you going to do? Do you leave him in there, or do you put a pitch hitter in there? Now with the DH, you don't care.
2: It doesn't matter. I hate the DH. So. I always say he Uh, The DH is baseball for people who really don't like baseball. Yeah,
6: it's
5: kind of like, you know, you just don't really care. It's almost somewhat like basketball. They only care when the playoffs start. Yeah, it's... During the season, it's not a real big thing.
2: Nobody watches it. By the way, the nine-hole hitter in the Phillies lineup is hitting zero right now. So the DH isn't really helping the nine spot get any more hits. It's been pretty bad in that area. Now, you played for Tampa Bay. Uh, That was um, towards the end. And I say this because... Were they very analytical at that time? Because that's a team with less talent that I think the analytics help them because they don't have the talent or the payroll. But a team like the Dodgers, who have been very good, but have had a lot of disappointing losses in series, I feel like they try to outsmart themselves when they have the better team.
5: Yeah, so analytics—they're really big in Tampa. But when you—you got to have some talent for the analytics to kind of work. But we all saw in the World Series a couple of years ago, the analytics screwed them, and they could have won a World Series if they would have just been a baseball. And Snell, do your dealing. Go out there. You know, you feel good. He's looking good. Forget about the analytics. And, and I, I agree with you with the Dodgers. They have a lot of talent. They're trying to outsmart everybody when sometimes just play them. Yeah. You know, you don't have to smart outsmart everybody all nine innings. Maybe do it two or three out of the nine innings because there's a situation, but you don't need to outsmart every single one. Like, I don't like it how every position player comes up and pulls out a cheat. sheet. Oh, I'm supposed to go two steps to right here. This guy pulls the ball. Oh, this is how I pitch the guy, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, really? Come on now.
4: Yeah. Oh, you
2: know I, it's crazy everybody's
4: pulling homework. stuff out of their
2: hats now and um i guess they're relaying signs i heard that jt real muto so i guess you can push a button and it tells the pitcher what pitch to throw and the location and it's jt real muto recorded his voice like fastball away so he'll push a button and it'll go to the earpiece in the pitcher's hat so, let me
5: let me say this are, the, are we getting the technology is getting so good so our players are actually getting dumber because they can't <laughs> think about what would you do in this situation? It's uh, almost like, well, what does the analytics tell me? I, it's, you know, like, I grew up and go, hey, if I faced Bo Jackson, I would I would do this, you know, and I was just a little kid, mm-hmm. you know, or I, I want to hit a ball, you know, goose gossage or this, this or that. And now it's like, you ask your kid, and he's like, well, what did the coach say? What's yeah, the scouting report? Exactly, yep. Like, do you even have a brain? Come on, think, think. That's what the great athletes, they think. They, You know, Derek Jeter, against Oakland in the playoffs, ran over by first base line. Who said to run over there? He just saw the ball was going to be short, and he was like, i got to be there. Yes. In case the ball is short, and, it, you know, he doesn't have the greatest arm. No analytics is going to tell you that. No cheat sheet pulled out. Oh, i got to run over there.
2: Uh, so... Uh- I want to ask you, Heath Bell's with us, former closer uh, in the uh, professionals. Of course, he was the uh, save leader uh, with 42 saves in 2009. And, of course, um, you'll take a look at um, – you mentioned having a a position player pick. Now, we saw it the other night in Tampa, Phillips. He was terrible. But – Are there, if position players pitched, do you think that some of these guys who probably pitched at some time in their life, do you think if they came in for like an inning or so, there are position players that would be effective?
5: You know, I think so. I mean, they're not going to be at the top of their game like the major leagues is. You know, that's the best of the best. So they probably could be effective here and there, but I don't really um, think it's the best thing out there for Everything and then my thing is, I see so many position players out there. My biggest thing is, are you just get? Did you give up the last two innings or the last innings? Like we don't have a shot, so whatever. Let's just have fun. I mean, what are you telling the pitchers that are not playing? You know, the young kid that could go out there and get an inning. You know, is we just having fun here? We're not really trying. And think about if you win one game, one more game every month, you're probably five hundred, or you're in the playoffs, and you're just going to give up. I mean. Weirder things have happened, you know, coming back to, you know, a couple of runs. Well, here. it's like,
2: I, I see, know. 10 uh, you like see, that. like, Otani obviously is like at the top of the top of the list, but like, Mike Trout is from our area. Now, when he pitched in high school, he was like dominant, like, through like 95 miles an hour in high school. Well, I I, in high school, all you got to do is throw fastballs that hard. Yes, you, exactly. But like, my, I guess it's like if we just utilize. Uh, The way analytics are now and they the pitch counts and everything, it's like if you picked and choose guys for like an inning here and an inning there, you wonder if you could get some of these guys who used to pitch to pitch at a level that would be able to get guys out.
5: Well yeah, I mean I guess we'll go two way players. If you wanna be yes. you wanna really dive into analytics then yeah, everybody should be a two way player really. Exactly. Except for maybe catchers. Right. I mean, let how far are we gonna go analytics? I mean, how I I don't like it, but if we if we're gonna really do it, let's pull in, you know. I mean you play travel ball teams in in high school or in junior high when they're twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen years old. Just everybody on the team's just about pitch. Exactly. You know? And It's your best player, so let's go out there, let's have our shortstops pitch, let's do this, let's do that. And but you
2: know, I don't know. Now, when I, you were in I high school, like when you were in high school, did you hit?
5: Yes, I hit, but it wasn't a passion of mine. If you ask anybody back in the day, I hit really well, I hit like uh almost close to 500, like 460, 480. But uh, my passion was pitching, yeah. even in high school, I would go on the weekends, and we'd hit, and I'd be like, let me throw it to you guys, and then I'll, I'll hit later. Right. So, you know, let me, you know.
2: Because so, you always wonder. Always people always wonder, like, the why the pitchers can't hit. They're usually the best athletes or the best players at some point, and when does it just stop for them where they can no longer hit? And some of them look like they can't, they've never held a bat before. But.
5: Well, this is what happens a lot. When you're, when you're a pitcher when you're young and you throw hard, then all of a sudden, nowadays, they don't stick a bat in your hands. You know, and then, like, when you get to high school now, like, my my kids in high school, they have pitcher only. When, when I was in high school, we didn't have pitcher only. You played two positions. Yeah. You played a position and you pitched. Right. And and then it was one of those things. So, now, um, like, when I got to the minor leagues, you, no, no pitchers hit. So, you never practice hitting. And then you finally get to the big leagues after, you know, four or five years. Gotcha. You haven't really swung a bat. Against you know maybe a little bit of BP here and there, but you really haven't swung a bat. And then now you got to face guys throwing ninety-seven with gone off with sliders <laughs> and change-ups right. that are moving. Yeah. So it's hard, and it, you just look foolish because you just you know BP you just go swing for the fence fences, see how hard you can hit it. But nowadays, guys at a young age they don't even start swinging. It's like no, I'm just
2: pitching. Well, you were, you were O for That's six it. in your career. Did you know that? Oh yeah. O oh, for six.
5: Six, but hey, I got a stack bunt down from Jonathan Broxton throwing 99. (laughs) Got two guys over. Scott Harrison hit a single, scored both RBIs. I told Scott one of those RBIs is mine.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, seven played appearances, six at-bats, no hits for the closer. Heath Bell, right. uh, of course, uh, you can check him out on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, he hosts uh, Ring the Bell. He'll talk baseball, Padres, of course, you remember him from the Padres, Dave. Over 40 saves, three straight seasons, and he was always fun to watch run into the game. Heath Bell's been a great conversation, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. Appreciate it, man. Heath Bell here on the Sports Bash, three-time Major League Baseball All-Star. Just chopping it up, talking baseball. I love those kind of conversations where you're really just kind of learning about life as a bullpen guy. He said, yeah, the guy in Philly tells me I ate seven cheesesteaks. He's like, I've had eight, and I'll have a beer with you later. Sounds like a guy you definitely want to have a beer with, right? Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Speaking of baseball... Here John Sterling last night? This was classically cringeworthy, I guess. We'll play the call coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
1: Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3
2: ESPN. Another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip, Eagles road game. In just a couple of minutes, I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Thanks to Heath Bell, former Major League Baseball All-Star closer. Good conversation, just talking baseball. I love that kind of conversation. You know, tell us what's going on in the bullpen. Hey, you're eating too many cheesesteaks. Yeah, I'm going to have another cheesesteak. What is it to you?
3: I like it's the fact that you're going back to your uh, old rock days and you got Breaking Benjamin and Disturbed coming out of back-to-back Well, Breaking bricks.
2: Benjamin was his song that he came out of the bullpen.
3: Yeah, but then you went Disturbed right after. You didn't have to stay on the alt-rock train.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I worked in alt-rock radio for a while. I mean, I probably know that genre better than almost anything else.
3: Although that song came out after you were done. Yeah, but
2: my reasoning, you know, once I played the Breaking Benjamin, then I went to go get coffee. By the time I gave back, I didn't get a chance to really think about a song. So that was like on the suggested
3: Uh, because
2: I played Breaking Benjamin.
3: The YouTube suggested because you played this.
2: Yes. So because you played Breaking Benjamin, you might like this Disturbed song, which probably is not my bag.
3: I'm a Disturbed guy.
2: Uh, I was watching this live last night when it happened. This is John Sterling on Yankees Radio on this call as, well, take a listen. This is Hicks. Here's the 1-0. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left center.
1: That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. But caught. At the wall. Caught by Tapia. Boy, I thought
2: that was gone. So Stanton got close. He sent Tapia back to the wall to make the catch. And the For Andrew DiCecco, Keith Smith on the NBA playoffs coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. But first, <laughs> it's your chance to qualify right now for Pick Your Trip. It's where we send one lucky listener to see an Eagles road game this season. You pick the road game. We'll take care of the airfare, hotel, pregame tailgate party. And we'll give you two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. 609 609- 609 573-3776 It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com Also brought to you by Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine You must be present to win live on April 28th from 2 to 6 at Slack-Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83 in Cape May Courthouse. Caller number 7, we'll see you there. Good luck. 97.3 ESPN presents the
1: Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at 4 with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DiCieco. My
3: first allegiance
1: is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's
2: Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and it is brought to you by PropSwap, America's sports betting marketplace. Sell your sports bets and take your profit. Find out how. Go to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app today. Hey, congratulations, Ryan and Cape May Courthouse. We'll see you at Slack-Tie Brewing Company for the NFL Draft Party on April 28th. Ryan and Cape May Courthouse, you have a chance to win an Eagles road trip where you get to pick the Eagles road trip of your choice. One lucky listener. We're qualifying people, listeners, each and every day at 55 after the hour. Ryan and Cape May Courthouse is our Most recent qualifier, and Ryan, if you are selected on the day of the draft, you get to pick your Eagles road trip, and we'll supply the airfare, the hotel, the pregame tailgate party, and we'll give you two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. We'll have another chance for you to qualify coming up tonight. At four fifty-five here on the sports pass Let's bring Andrew DeCecco in from inside the birds.com as we're getting closer to the draft, just two weeks away from today, Andrew DeCecco. 14 days. I'm sure you are quite ready for this thing to happen, right? You're, you're at the point where you have scouted this thing up and down.
0: Oh yeah, I'm always ready.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, throw some fastballs your way and get some thoughts. First off, Steve Nelson signs away. He goes to Houston. He had a kind of an average year last year, obviously. But is that kind of an indication that this year they will put high capital into that position? Last year they went fourth round, but do they have to get a higher round uh, You know, investment at that position this year?
0: Yeah, I think the Eagles know that they need to upgrade in that position in a big way. I mean, Steve Nelson was a stopgap signing for them last season, played fairly well, but when you really look at the film, they did a lot. Jonathan Gannon, uh, I'm speaking about, had to do a lot to protect Steve Nelson, who doesn't have the didn't have the long speed to you know, and could get exposed, and uh, really could have been a lot a lot uglier than it was at times. So I, I think that he was very limited in what he's able to do large not just because of steve nelson but i think that that was a big part of what held him back from being more aggressive was some of the limitations that he had with his personnel and he was one of them
2: yeah we heard a lot of that of the fact that you know they had to do a lot with their safeties to help him out that mean their safeties had to be off the ball a little bit more um let me ask you do you think the corner class this year is better and deeper or the one from last year uh, I would say it's
0: pretty similar i mean I, I really like the the top end talent in this class, and I think you could find some some decent gems later on. I thought it was a little bit deeper last year overall, however, so um it, it's all going you got to get the right you got to get the right guy, and the Eagles are going to be in position to do so. I just don't think they can afford to wait and try and sneak sneak uh you know get one of those gems in the third or fourth round. They need to use one of these you know. Premium draft picks and get a guy in there that's going to be the long term starter opposite Darius Slay and, you know,
2: hold that mantle, the cornerback one, for the foreseeable future. And I ask that because, you know, Andrew, last year I feel like, and I think you can probably speak a little bit more on this, is that a guy like Sertan, they won it last year. He was not available. Um, The two guys that they wanted in the draft last year, when it was their turn to pick, they weren't on the board. Uh, I would imagine that they're going to have a corner on the board when it's their turn at number 15. I think so.
0: I mean, and and like I was saying, alluding to last week when we spoke, I think a guy like Sauce Gardner, if he's within, if he falls within that 9 or 10 range, well, if you're, if you're the Eagles and you're sitting at 15 and this is clearly the best corner in this class, has the size, speed, and everything you look for in the you know, top corner, for your football team, I think you need to be aggressive and utilize some of the resources that you have and get sauce Gardner on your football team. However, even if they stay put at 15, they also have 18, there's going to be a guy like a Derek Stingley or an Andrew Booth who has really uh, gone by the wayside puzzling, puzzlingly throughout the whole process. But I think he's another player that could be in play at 18 as well. So there's going to be guys you can plug and play right away. And I think the Eagles know that. And that's why there there was no rush to bring a guy like Steve Nelson back. You really don't have any long-term plans for, and he's not going to be a piece of your defense. So, I mean, I I think that they know that they need to upgrade in that area. Yeah.
2: JC Horn went eight. Sertan went nine. And then it was Philly's turn at number 10. And uh, the two corners were off the board. They went with Smith. The next corner... Uh, that was 22, Caleb Farley, so a little bit of a drop-off. This year, there is uh, probably a couple of more first-round-worthy talents uh, than in last year's draft?
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to remember Trent McDuffie. Roger McCreary was somebody who was viewed as a top-25 guy, probably going to go at the top end of round two. But there are a number of guys. I mean, Zion McCollum is someone that I think is going to be a late three or early four. Six foot four corner with an enticing intangibles run a 4 3 at the NFL Combine is another player. That, I mean, it just speaks to the depth of this class. And I think that you're going to, if you look, you know, you don't have to, you can look beyond the first round, you the second, third, and fourth, and you're going to find some high end players at yeah.
2: the position. That's the kid from uh, Sam Houston State. Yeah, keep an eye out on him. Uh, we're talking with Andrew D'Aceco, football at four. Yes, Steve Nelson signed away. So corner seems like it's high on the list. And then, of course, uh, last week we saw the safety, Ronnie McLeod. He went to Indianapolis. And now is it more beneficial in this draft to look safety or go the route they did last year at corner and go get that veteran stopgap guy like the Steve Nelson, maybe Tyron Matthews' name has been brought up a lot. Do you think you'd go the, the free agent route for safety or do you like this safety class and think there's a guy that can play right away?
0: Yeah, see, I'm one of the few, Mike, it feels like, that it would be against the Tyron Matthews signing and be a little bit shocked by it or not really understand uh, the method to the madness because that's been the Eagles' forte over the or, – or that's been what they've been – you know, that's been their blueprint for the number of years is getting these veteran stopgap guys, but you're really not – Getting any young talent to develop, and the Eagles have done a really poor job at developing back end talent. And I think that when you look at this draft and you see some of the guys are going to be available, Louis Seen, a, a Jaquan Brisker, players like that, um, a Petrie uh, from from Baylor who can do it all, versatile back end guy. These are guys that you need to you need to eventually get young talent and replenish that position. I mean, I know they really like Marcus Epps, and I do think he's going to have a much bigger role, but you have to get bona fide, surefire, you know, top of the depth chart type of guys. And I think you're going to have that there, and they're going to be in a position to do so, particularly at 51. I don't know if they're going to go in the first round and go in that, go in that direction at safety, given their history, but at some point, Mike, you've you got to refine, you know, you got to look back and see – where you're falling short, and I think it's really uh, their secondary talent and, and linebackers as well. But they're going to the free agent well and trying to find these value signings, and they're plug—they're just band aids essentially,
2: and they need to be able to rectify that. And they're going—they're going to have to do that this year. Uh, by the way, Jaquan Brisker visiting the Eagles. We know that Chris Olave is visiting the Eagles. Uh, tell us a little bit about what these visitations mean. What do you read into when a team? goes out of their way they get 30 visitations what does it mean when the team makes those visitations is there a message is there something you get from that or is that just hey this guy's there we want to learn a little bit more is there something more to it you know you can you
0: don't want to read into that too much obviously a team has 30 visits so some of them some of those visits you can afford to bring in a guy like a matt corral or players that you might just be trying to send off a smoke screen to another team and say Huh, I, wonder, I wonder if the Eagles are interested in this guy. Should we trade in front of them? I mean, you, you look for any type of advantage you can get, and I think some of those 30 picks are guys that maybe you're just trying to do your due diligence with or maybe you're trying to throw some teams off. There's been guys that haven't been br- been brought in on 30 visits that get drafted by the team. So. A lot of it has to do with maybe you just want to bring a guy in and check out their medical or their their background and, and just get just get them in on, on a whiteboard or something and just get that one on one time with them. And, um, you know, it's it's all part of the process that the, the teams are going to do their vetting on a lot of these players because they're going to be investing in.
2: So I, I, I still don't I don't necessarily I'm not one to necessarily read too much into these top 30 visits. Right. And, uh, you know, anytime, Andrew, and you can speak on this, you see a wide receiver, Chris Olave. Oh, my God, they're going to take a wide receiver for the third straight year. I think Detroit did that a couple of years ago. It doesn't happen often. Uh, but you know, is with the two picks and and Alave coming in, I mean, are you against them taking a receiver w- for the third straight year?
0: Only because they have now two first round picks. If they had three, that's a luxury you can afford to take a wide receiver. Right. Unfortunately, the, the position that the Eagles have themselves and Mike is that they need a, a a top end talent to add to that group that really is kind of underwhelming outside of Devontae Smith, right? I mean, I know they like Quez Watkins, but like I've told you, and my opinion is that he's a a third wide receiver ideally, and I think he would thrive in that role. But the Eagles have now sort of tied their hands, and they need to get a receiver almost in the first or second round. I mean, the second round may be a George Pickens from from Georgia, but uh, it's kind of hard. I mean, when when you have these Bonafide top end pass rushers at your disposal sitting there when you're on at 15 and, and even 18. And uh, a safety like a Lewis Seen who's probably going to creep into the first round, um, it's, and even some offensive linemen that you could use. It, it's kind of hard to justify taking a receiver again to kind of make up for. Uh, some of the deficiencies at the position and and the whiffs that you've had in Jalen Rager and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside.
2: Yeah, we, we look at some of those receivers, you know, uh, Drake London, you know, you, he's a guy. There, it just seems that there's such variety in this particular class Garrett Wilson is different from London who's different from Olave, who's different from Jameson Williams you also throw the wrench in Draylon uh, Traylon Burks by the way who's another big guy they're, they're all different but you throw into this unique situation Andrew that a couple of these receivers are, have ACL injuries as well who were thought to be first round picks you know and you wonder how that has changed the the market for the for the receivers in the first round.
0: Yeah, and you know, you and I mentioned Jamison Williams last week, and he's someone that I still envision being a first-round pick, possibly as I'm hearing now, you know, in the top ten, twelve wouldn't wouldn't be a shock because of his talent, and he has the upside to become ultimately the best receiver in this draft class. However, if you're the Eagles, can you really afford to take an injure, a player coming off an ACL injury that's not going to be available likely to until training camp? So you're missing all the OTAs, getting that continuity with Jalen Hurts and they're probably going to be behind the eight ball when you really need a guy that can step right in and play opposite Devontae Smith and contribute from, the, you know, from day one. I don't know if they can afford to do that. That's not to say that he won't be a high-end first-round pick to, to some team that has the luxury of doing so. but. Um, I mean, I think the Chris Olave visit's a little interesting. I kind of view him as more of like an Emmanuel Sanders, a very refined route runner, probably the best in the draft class by far. And, uh, you know, he can work all three levels of the field. He's a very complete receiver. Not ultimately a a game-breaker like Garrett Wilson, his teammate, but he's a very solid player that can do everything you need him to
2: do. Yes, so uh, that's interesting about his route-running ability because he is a smaller guy. I think people look at him... Um, a little differently, but you know, a guy who's a clean route runner, uh, and then Garrett Wilson, oh, his yeah. teammate over there. At uh, who's your favorite receiver in this in this class?
0: Overall, skill set wise, probably Jamison Williams. Um, I think that he really ha- is a complete player. Like I, I think I, I think I said this on your show last week. I, I view a lot of these top uh, first round receivers somewhat in the same tier. They're all going to be have good careers likely, but I don't see anybody that's going to be. Like a Jamar Chase, like a like a yeah. you know all pro upside. I see a lot of Pro Bowl talent, but when I when I view the wide receiver class this year, I look at I lo- I love the depth, and I kind of have Jamison Williams up top, Garrett Wilson surely behind him, and uh, and then a number of guys that are just right in that same same threshold. So, um, I mean, Chris Olave is going to go probably right around where the Eagles are picking, in, at fifteen or eighteen. So if they're going to go receiver there, they're, they're, he's likely going to be available and probably would be the guy. I mean, I, I envision him as being somebody that's going to really hit it off with Nick Sirianni in his visit. And he's just a very complete, polished player, and his route running is remarkable. And he looks like a guy that can step right in day one and contribute. So I wouldn't be surprised if he really kind of hits it off with Nick
2: Sirianni uh, when, he visit, when he visited today. What is your, uh, what's your thoughts on Pickens from Georgia? He's another ACL guy, right?
3: Yeah, I, I
0: like him. I, I like him, and I think he would be a, a great player in uh, if the Eagles were to go that route at fifty-one. Explosive player. Again, you're rolling the dice a little bit, but it's not. You're not using a first-round pick to do so. Um, but I mean, he's a player that I think is very explosive and can really impact the offense it would be a tremendous compliment opposite Devontae Smith because they do, they do a lot of different things. They, they both do a lot of things well, but they, they complement each other in that regard. So he's someone that I would probably keep an eye on if they were to go receiver. You know, at 51 would make some sense. But in the first round, given their past history, it's
2: like how can he justify doing that given the other deficiencies on the roster? Yeah, and then there's uh, John Mitchie, too, who was another guy with an ACL. But I would really like him if they could get him in the third round.
0: Yeah, I mean, eighty-three would would have to be the would have to be the target unless they trade up. Uh, I think that he would probably be around at that time. And again, when you're looking at ACL guys, those are the ones that you would feel a little bit more comfortable taking a second or a third rounder um, rather than investing a first round pick in them. John Mezge is another player that
2: I think gives the Eagles something different that they don't already have. All right, uh, Andrew Checo, football at four. We're going to take a look at the draft. Of course, uh, we'll be one week closer next week. By the way, just official now, Rodney McLeod officially has signed with Indianapolis. So Philadelphia will need to replace uh, their starting safety, their starting corner. Um, I guess uh, at some point they're going to have to make a decision on whether they think TJ Edwards and uh, Taylor, one of those two, will start or do they need to get another upgrade. These are questions that all will be answered in about 14 days, and we'll do it here during Football at 4. Andrew inside InsideTheBirds.com. Andrew, I can't wait for the draft, man. We'll talk about it again next week. Again, man, I'll talk to you Tuesday. All right, Andrew, the check goes back next week. We'll have plenty of draft coverage. And next week, we'll start to take a look at his thoughts on the draft in general. What's going to happen at the top of the draft? He does a lot of homework, a lot of studying on draft stuff. Check out his Draft Dreams uh, show as well. That's over on the Inside the Birds platform where he takes a look at smaller school guys and the possibility of them making it in the NFL. There's a couple local guys. That have draft dreams, three of them to be exact. Cedar Creek's Bo Melton, wide receiver Rutgers, Vine Lynn Hyes, Isaiah Pacheco, running back Rutgers, and also the safety from Bridgeton, Bell from Florida A&M. Uh, all three guys hope to hear their name drafted in 14 days. And we look forward to bringing that to you here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right. uh, Coming up, we have the headlines, stories of the day, Sixers, Paul Hudrick, and Todd Rank tonight. So stick around for that here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Back to the Sports Bash
1: on 97.3
2: ESPN. 425, here's what's happening. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. 30 minutes from now, another chance for you to qualify to pick your trip. If you qualify, you need to be live at the draft party. Slack Tide Brewing will do the show live, and then one lucky winner will be selected at random. If you are picked, you get to pick your trip. Tell us which Eagles road game you want to go to this season. And that's all thanks to phillysportstrips.com and Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop. So we're looking forward to that. It's two Thursdays from today. 14 days, pick your trip, qualifier, half hour here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Josh Hennings, my
3: producer.
2: Let's see what's happening today.
3: Mike, I want to start a little football with you. Did you see this story about Kyler Murray?
2: I am just seeing this now, yes.
3: So, according to reports now, Kyler Murray refuses to report if he doesn't get some sort of contract extension. Now, the Cardinals have not offered him one. The reason this is something to keep an eye on is because in previous drafts, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield were two quarterbacks who were not offered contract extensions, and both teams let them go in their fifth year. Now, obviously, Mayfield and Jackson, very different situations from each other, but it's becoming a trend that unless your name is like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, teams are not that eager to give you an extension until you play out your fifth year of that rookie deal.
2: There's a lot of reasons why teams reach on a quarterback, too, in the first round because they want that fifth year of control. control. Yeah. So keep that in mind when you say, why did my team take a quarterback, you know, in this spot because they rather have that fifth year control. So that's thrown into the mix, too. Look, Kyler Murray, I guess it's saying that he um, doesn't have a contract offer and that he might not play if he doesn't get a new contract.
3: Basically he, he won't he won't report to camp this this uh Look I look state. at it like this. Okay, call me crazy.
2: These guys are bewildering to me. Either they have no faith in their own abilities, just go out and play and show that you deserve a contract. One, two. Like, I get it. If you get hurt, you don't get signed, yada yada. We have to stop living life in all avenues based on what's the worst case scenario that could happen. We do it in everything. Everything we do is now based on what's the worst thing that could happen. I don't want to play because then I don't get a contract and I don't get you've made enough money that if you want to play and you love the game, if you're playing because you love playing, you've made enough money that if something catastrophic happened that you can never play again, which is pretty remote, I think financially you're going to be okay. Right? So this whole like, well, I didn't get paid or they need to pay me because I've done this. If they like you and they want to pay you, they'll pay you. Right? That's a client business relationship. That's what like, these guys who live in this fantasy world of sports can't kind of come to terms with like, hey, my contract's up and I want a new contract or I'm not going to play. Well, then you don't love your job. And that's like, okay, Kyler Murray might say, okay, I don't love my job.
3: I mean, maybe Kyler should have stayed with baseball. I don't know. He was not He was an eighth overall pick or whatever it was. Guess what,
2: Kyler Murray. You don't think another team would say, if you don't want them, we'll take them? That's another thing that I don't understand, this whole situation. Like, in all these situations, you think Kyler Murray's going to be like, oh, my God, they didn't pay me. Nobody else wants me. Jeez. (laughs) I don't understand, like, how it has to be so dramatic. But, like, in sports now, everything we do is based on what's the worst-case scenario. Yesterday, 80 pitches, let's take this guy out of the game. Because he might get hurt. He might injure himself on pitch 83. So, what pitch is now too many pitches before we have to take the guy out of the game? Is 72 too many pitches? Right? Load management. Well, we can't play guys. They might get hurt. We can't play guys. You know, they might get injured if we actually play them doing their job. God forbid. You know, maybe they should tell me look, you know what? You talk every day for four hours. You can only do three days, three hours a day. You might lose your voice. Did you ever think of that? I might lose my voice.
3: Uh, that reminds me of the In the story. end,
2: everything. Like, load management. We can't live life thinking about the worst-case scenario all the time. It has ruined what used to be great about sports. You know, actually seeing the good players play. Remember that? Remember that? What a novel concept. Jeez. Kyler Murray, do you love playing football or not? Do you think you're good? If you think you're good, go out and play and show the owner. You know what? This guy's pretty darn good. We can't live without him. I have to pay you. You have forced me to pay you because you're so good. What a concept.
3: We talked about Ben Simmons returning earlier. Can I talk about another player returning from injury? Steph Curry was back at practice today. Oh. And according to Steve Kerr, their coach, he said that he felt good and that they're going to reevaluate tomorrow. The hope is that he'll be back for game one of their first-round series against Denver.
2: Yeah, it looks like he'll be back. Um, They need him. Now, he's not going to play full minutes, I guess. It's another thing. It's like you're back. You're either back or you're not. You're not half back. You're back.
3: Well, Kerr said that, quote, his conditioning conditioning should be good. So this is more about getting... Yeah, but I hate
2: when you go into a game with a predetermined set restriction. Like, if I'm out there and I'm playing, I'm in the heat of the moment. Oh, but we only said you're going to play 15 minutes. Okay, I can play 18 minutes now. Mm-hmm. Like, my body is now telling me I can make it through 18 minutes. Well, we said you're only going to play 15 I don't give a rip. So maybe Curry can go out there and play twenty-six minutes. Nope, only said twenty-five. I hate it, but I'm good to, glad to see Curry back. We want the best players out there.
3: Absolutely. And he is one of the best players, not Ben Simmons. Anyway, <laughs> uh, back to football. Did you see Luke? What... By the
2: way, not expected to play.
3: Yeah, Luke and that calf thing looks very bad. Yeah. I mean, not bad, like he's like, you know, permanently injured. Bad. I mean, like, it's bad for him to play anytime soon. Did you see what Tom Brady tweeted? Nope. So Tom I don't Brady, follow
2: Tom Brady on Twitter.
3: So, Tom Brady on Twitter. So, for those who don't know what's going on in the outside world, apparently there's this big thing going on that Elon Musk is threatening to buy out Twitter and take over the entire social media platform. Yeah, he wants to pay platform.
2: like 40 some billion.
3: Yeah, basically, Elon Musk says, I have more money to buy this than Twitter has that can make off of it on their own. Well, my
2: question would be, if you spend 40, what was it? 40 billion. Plus, I think it's like 46 billion or 42 billion or whatever. Over 40 billion to buy Twitter. Like, what kind of return on that investment are you hoping for? You're telling me that Twitter can bring you back? Over $40 billion?
3: Hey, they said Elon was stupid for a lot of other things he did, so I'm not going to tell him he's dumb yet. <laughs> Jeez. Until I see him fail, I'm not going to argue with the guy. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a gazillionaire for a reason. You
2: well, have 40 extra billion just laying around. Is Twitter really the purchase you want to make?
3: Well, social media is a powerful outlet now with a lot of advertising dollars, so I don't know. I, I would have to do a little more research on on Twitter's Yo! Revenue streams, but Tom Brady tweeted at Elon Musk and said, if you buy Twitter, can you delete my combine photo from the internet?
2: (laughs) I did see that picture. I guess that was what it was attached to.
3: Yeah, so apparently Brady is really tired of his combine picture being showed all the time. So he thought he would maybe ask Musk if he could help him out.
2: I don't think that that's ever gonna happen. I mean, it's it's not just on Twitter. I know,
3: but it, it is a funny idea that Brady is going out of his way. <laughs> yeah.
2: Hey, it's not a good pic. It's not a very flattering picture. I'll give him that.
3: No, you don't say. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, you and I talked about this story a little bit off the air earlier, Mike. So YouTube is planning on carrying 15 baseball games this year. This will be the fourth year that YouTube and MLB have worked together. Now, this is on top of the games on Peacock, on Apple TV, and Amazon Prime. They're going to have 15 other games on YouTube TV that will be produced by MLB Network. By the way, MLB Network is also producing the Apple TV Plus games.
2: If MLB Network is going to produce these games for it, well, I get why. It's all money. Say, so why does an MLB Network just do it themselves?
3: I think part of the reason why is because the MLB Network realizes that they don't have enough of a reach in terms of cable and satellite providers. I think they're trying to find... Right, they're not
2: that. making the same money that Apple Plus, Amazon Prime, YouTube... Well, that they're willing to pay. It's not YouTube TV, it's YouTube.
3: It's YouTube. That's the interesting thing I was asking you about. And I've been doing some reading online... This is not a YouTube TV exclusive. No, this is on YouTube, regular YouTube. So People get very confused about this. Well, I don't blame them because the other platforms you have to have Peacock.
2: No, no, no. I'm talking about people get confused between the difference between YouTube and YouTube TV. It's
3: not that hard to mix up. I mean, it's
2: right, I know, But there's a lot of people that don't realize they are two two separate, separate platforms. Yes. Well, YouTube is a free platform.
3: Right, but you can pay for the commercial free version like I do. Right.
2: YouTube TV is essentially a cable television package streamed through YouTube television.
4: Correct. Yeah.
2: So they have exclusive games, Major League Baseball, on YouTube, Apple TV. Peacock. Peacock.
3: And Amazon Prime.
2: Plus you have ESPN, Fox, TBS MLB Network FS1 I mean every team's got
3: 162 games Why not spread out the wealth
2: right? Baseball is just all over the place Like this is another thing It's like Here's the problem Okay As I see it People are going to be more annoyed with your platform Than interested in adding your platform Do you understand what I'm saying? So your platform, Apple TV Plus, because you have forced an inconvenience for me, I now don't want you.
3: Right. It's the idea that, you know, instead of being incentivized to get your product, you're annoying me with eating your product. Your,
2: Your platform has annoyed me because I have to get you to watch my team. Here's another problem. My team is now on. If I'm a Yankee fan, I'm really pissed because they are on Apple TV or Amazon, one of, the, one of the services they're on, like, 20 times.
3: Yeah.
2: You go to a bar or restaurant. Can the bar or restaurant, do they have Apple TV? Do they have Peacock? Does the bartender know how to put Amazon Prime on? Does he know how to put YouTube on?
3: It's a very fair question. There are some places she? that have no interest in that hassle. Right.
2: Like I say, there's a lot of bars. Like You're like, where's a good place to watch the game? Not this place. The bartender never knows what to do with the TVs. Right. You, you have to find a place that really is on top of that.
3: You know, like, for example, if you're someone who wants to go out and watch UFC fights, it's a different sport, but just use an example. Well, that's on those pay-per-views on ESPN+. So that establishment doesn't have, to, doesn't have to buy into the UFC bar package. They got to have ESPN Plus set up in yeah, their establishment.
2: But, but not a lot of people. I think a lot of people understand that the bar, it doesn't have the fight on unless it's a bar that's known for having the fight but on. if
3: you're a bar that has a fight on, you might be more likely to have Apple TV, Peacock, Amazon Plus. Right, but my Apple.
2: point is, baseball, if I'm a baseball fan, I expect the bar to have the game on because it's just on TV. You would hope. But if the game isn't on TV and it's on some platform and I'm going out to the bar and I say, hey, where's the Yankee game tonight? Oh, it's on, I don't even know what platform. But we just don't have it. So that's a bad job by baseball on weekends where people are like, hey, where's the game? I'm a, I, I want to watch the game with my buddies. And the bars can't get them because whatever platform it's on. You know, is the bar going to go out and get YouTube, Apple TV+, Peacock, Amazon Prime?
3: Well, here's also my question. If you're a, an owner of such establishment, do you – how if you already have maybe one of these platforms like for yourself – you go and set it up at your establishment, then with your own login. Like, that's I mean, another that's... thing. What?
2: How do they put all? Like, do you have smart? How many smart TVs do you have? You're gonna have smart TVs all over the bar. How many no of them have idea. all the yeah. apps? Does every single TV have to have...
3: Like, there are some establishments, they have half their TVs on, like, Xfinity and half them on DirecTV. Right. So you go, you watch them, they, well, we're going to change it on the Xfinity because it's faster for me to get it on those TVs.
2: Yeah, most people have the DirecTV for the NFL package.
3: Right, but the, my point is, is that some of them, like half the, Catholic, there's, I know a few establishments specifically that have half and
2: half. Uh most do. That's what I'm saying. Most have half and half because they'll put the Eagles game on the cable and then yep. they'll put other games on the Direct TV. Uh, Sports Baz is brought to you by East Coast Roofing Siding Windows, serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up online, eastcoastroofing.com. The NBA playoffs are about to take shape. Keith Smith, NBA writer, joins me next. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South
1: Jersey Sports Leader.
2: All right, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the NBA play-in. Finals are tomorrow night, Atlanta, Cleveland, New Orleans, la listen to the doubleheader right here on 97.3 espn four games saturday four games sunday sixers raptors the highlight on sunday brooklyn and boston a lot of storylines there keith smith spottrack.com covers the nba set to join us with thoughts on all these series let's bring them in right now to the sports bash on 97.3 espn on this thursday afternoon keith how are you I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, we've got uh, tomorrow night. I mean, Atlanta, obviously, Eastern Conference Finals last year. I would imagine uh, teams are looking at them like, oh, they're getting hot at the right time. We uh, we were probably cheering for Cleveland if on Miami. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think if you're in the Heat, you should be all that worried about the
6: hawks i think they probably feel pretty confident but if you don't have to deal with chasing Trey young around for a series i think you'd prefer that to a pretty banged up cleveland team so yeah i I think probably some rooting but but i'm more more likely that he feel like hey we're
2: we're pretty ready to go no matter who comes out of this one. the new orleans clippers i guess it's more of like who's not there and who might be able to come back if one of these teams advances
6: yeah, now that that gets a little interesting. I mean, we saw Zion Williamson, uh, you know, throwing down 360 dunks and warm-ups. Looks to be pretty good physically. We haven't heard any kind of real updates on Kawhi Leonard uh, anytime recently. But the guess is probably both of those guys are out no matter what if those teams advance. So we'll see uh, where where that goes. That one, The Clippers should have enough to get past the Pelicans here. But, and again, I, I think if you're the Phoenix Sun sitting on the other side, you're at of saying, hey, we won 64 games. We're not really worried much, much about who comes out of the
2: bracket, uh, playing bracket. I would agree. Uh, all right, let's look at Saturday in the East, Toronto and Philly. Probably not the matchup that Philly wants. You throw the Thibel thing in there. You've got long athletic wings against a kind of slow-plotting Philadelphia team.
6: Yeah, no, if there was a team to be missing Matisse Seibel against, it's probably Toronto. Because what you don't want to do is give them a guy they feel like, yeah, just leave him open. We'll help off him. That'll be where that, that, whoever's guarding him, uh, will be the guy who is our designated doubler on Joel Embiid, the guy who traps James Harden, the guy who really gets the forces the ball moving other directions because you're not worried about that. And on the flip side of the floor, Toronto doesn't really have that kind of big wing score that you're looking to put Thibault on to shut down. So if you're missing him for a few games, that this is probably a team to miss him again. That said, it's going to be a challenging series because Toronto can really play defense. Nick Nurse is going to have something, something he's never done before that he's going to throw out there in this series and play some kind of goofy defense that's going to take at least a you know, handful of possessions to solve and figure out. And then just as you get it going, he'll switch into something else. He's, he loves the playoffs more than I think any other coach for those kinds of reasons. What kind of
2: matchup is this for Harden? Because I mean, obviously he's the wild card here. What hard are we going to get? How does uh, Toronto match up with what he does? Yeah, it's going
6: to be kind of a tough one because I think what you're going to see from James Harden is uh, one getting past that first line of defense. Whether it's my guess, it'll probably be Gary Trent initially, but then they'll they'll use Fred Bleed on him. They'll put uh, Scotty Barnes on them. They, they may even put OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam on them. They'll switch anybody onto them. And then once you if you get past that first line of defense, you're coming into just a whole bunch of long, uh, athletic, bouncy guys uh, inside that are going to make it difficult to find those passing lanes and get those shots up. So dude, this is a tough one. He's going to have his work cut out for him for sure.
2: Yeah, and then, of course, there's Embiid and what they do with him. But, you know, Embiid... Tough matchup for him defensively. Like, he doesn't have a guy to really match up with very well.
6: Yeah, and I know I've seen a lot of people saying, well, you know, they put him on Pascal Siakam in the past, and it's gone okay. Well, there's a difference between some random Tuesday in January putting him beat on Pascal Siakam for five minutes at the end of the game and then having to do that for 35, 40 minutes uh, a night. That's going to be the challenge. And I think Toronto, when you look at it, there's always the question is asked, gosh, how are they going to defend Joel Embiid? And the answer is with everybody in all sorts of different ways and do all sorts of different stuff. And to some extent, Embiid's going to get his, and they're just going to have to live with that. But on the flip side, how does Embiid defend Pascal Siakam? Or do you put him on OG Ananobi and say, hey, just float, let it be? Or do you put him on Scotty Barnes and say, hey, if we go down, because Scotty Barnes hits a whole bunch of jump shots and three-pointers, so be it.
2: I think Doc Rivers is going to have to get creative, which has not always been his strong suit. Uh, Keith Smith with us talking a little NBA as uh, the playoffs start on Saturday with four games. The uh, the Sixers are the only Eastern Conference game on Saturday. Everything else is in the West. We'll jump to Sunday, uh, Brooklyn and Boston, 3.30. This Ben Simmons underlining he could come back. I mean, does that affect the series at all for you? Does that change any way you look at this series if Simmons returns? It doesn't change it in any positive way for the Nets for me.
6: I think Ben Simmons, you, you you guys know and your listeners know better than just about anybody else. He is a very unique talent, and it takes a while to figure out how to fit him in and use him. This is not a plug-and-play guy. This is not taking a, uh, you know, a shooter and just saying, hey, run, run the floor and shoot when you're open. Or taking a big man that's, hey, protect the rim and run the floor and dunk the ball when you're open. It's one of those things where if you want to get, uh, get uh, good value out of Ben Simmons on the floor, you need to have him out there. And I think the idea of with everything he has gone through over the course of the last year or so now, to say hey, come in here in the middle of a playoff series, which is probably going to be a very competitive one, and come in and make a difference. Even if you're saying things like, we only need 10, 15 minutes out of you, we've seen how quickly a playoff series can turn based on a 10 or 15-minute period. So I I just don't know that, that that's the decision I would make. I would keep him out. Hold him out. Wait until we get into the off season when you can really scheme things. Get him incorporated with your guys. And I think they have a chance to be great next year. Trying to work him in on the fly like this just seems like a bad idea.
2: All right. Uh, Milwaukee, to me, feels like a sweep. What say you?
6: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I am generally loath to pick sweeps. I think there's two things that factor in. One, it's hard to sweep the team. And then also... At this point in the calendar, I start looking at and saying, "Man, we're running out of basketball games left," and I start to get a little sad. So I want <laughs> as many of them as we can get. But I, I, yeah, I just I don't think the Bulls have any kind of answer for Giannis. That's not a huge criticism. Not a lot of people do have an answer for Giannis. But I, I think the Bucks are just going to roll over them. I think the Bucks know who they are. They've been there, done that. I think they also know the value of hey, let's get this one over. Let us let. Uh, Boston and Brooklyn fight it out in a long series. Well we rest up and we get ready for that second round.
2: Keith Smith, uh who would be your MVP pick?
6: Nikola Jokic. Um and it's tough. It is really, really close. I between Jokic and Embiid. I just when you look at everything numbers-wise, and that's without even getting deep into the, the you know real advanced analytics and everything, I mean, he was the first player in history to have a 2,000, 1,500 season in terms of points, rebounds, and assists. It's unbelievable, and he's not a bad defender either. He's not Embiid's he's not level as a defender, but he is just an incredible offensive player, and, and I think it's going to be a really close vote. I would just pick Jokic. I also think, too, throughout the course of the year. It, he, he has not had uh, two of his main guys, Jamal Marty and Michael Porter Jr., for the course of the year. That's pushed them down a little bit in the standing. And, it, and it, it's, it's what's rough for me as kind of a neutral observer watching is seeing the vitriol that's being thrown by all sides of, you know, if you don't pick this guy, you're an idiot, or you don't know basketball <laughs> and those kind of things. It's just crazy. It's just an opinion. Like, we, we don't need to get this uh, deep about it.
2: I'm one that actually – I don't have. A, I don't. I, I think they almost cancel each other out, and I would almost say neither have won enough. That I, why not uh, Giannis or why not Booker who have won more than those two guys? You know, to me, it's like these guys are so close that maybe they just cancel each other out for me. I, I don't have a problem with Jokic. Now, the straw poll that went out there, I think it was a bit ridiculous that Jokic won so far and away. I, I don't think the gap was that big. Yeah,
6: no, definitely not. Not for me, at least. I think this is very much a a 1-1-A choice. And you can't go wrong if you pick either guy. I think you're okay. And 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 I'm with you on on Giannis, I think, to be okay. I think Giannis, over the last couple weeks, you know, just took some days off, slipped a little bit. Uh, there so I I think Jokic and Embiid put that separation. But yeah, I, I don't I, I yeah, it shouldn't be an overwhelming choice. Um I think in the end I do think Jokic will probably win, but I think it's gonna be a lot closer than that Strapo showing
2: well the second season starts Saturday. We get the play in finals tomorrow night. And of course you can hear the NBA playoffs and the Sixers right here on ninety seven three ESPN at Keith Smith NBA Follow him over there for all his NBA takes, as well as coverage of that Brooklyn-Boston series, which starts off on Sunday. Going to be a epic classic in the first round. Keith, appreciate it, man.
6: Absolutely. Hey, I got to do it real quick. Our buddy Josh, your producer, took me down in the fantasy basketball finals of a pretty competitive league. So oh, I heard that. A little
2: bit of luck. I heard he yeah. won the whole thing, and he beat he you in did. the finals, yep. right? Yep. Yep, took me down in the final. Wow, how about it? All right, good job out of Josh (laughs) and uh, Keith, a stand-up guy. All right, bud, we'll talk to you. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) All right, there you go. Josh got a little shout out. You won the. Who's in that league? It's like you and uh, the uh, whole basketball community out there. Josh slayed them all. Brian Deporik, Austin Krell Krell covers uh, the Sixers for uh, SI or somebody up there, I guess. Man, that's a big win out of you. All right. All right. Sports bash Live. Congratulations. A little extra coin. 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Next hour, Todd Ranks in the house. Leo Rawtons, who covers the, uh, or is the uh, color analyst for the Raptors television broadcast. Will join me at 5.30 tonight. But first... I need caller number seven, and I need him right now. 609-573-3776, or her. 609-573-3776. Caller number seven. You are qualified for Pick Your Trip, where you could win a trip for two to a 2022 Eagles road game, which includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com. And it's also brought to you by our friends at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. You must be present to win Thursday, April 28th at Slack Tide Brewing Company in Cape Bay Courthouse. 609-573-3776. Caller number seven. Good luck.
1: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios,
2: here's Mike Gill. Just after five on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Congratulations to Paul in Pleasantville. Hey, Paul, you are qualified for a chance to pick your trip, an Eagles road trip to the game of your choice If you are our lucky winner, you get to pick which Eagles road game you want to go to this year. We'll pick up the airfare, the hotel, the pregame tailgate party, two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. One lucky winner gets to pick their trip. You must be present to win. Our Eagles draft party is Thursday, April 28th at Slack Tide Brewing. We'll have another chance for you to qualify coming up tonight at 555 right here. On the Sports Bash. All right, Todd Rank, former co-host of the Sports Bash, live on 97.3 ESPN. He's back for another conversation. The NBA playoffs about to start. You're out in L.A. Are people going nuts about this Kershaw thing or they don't really care? Well, it.
7: you know, they've tried to make it mixed message. Um, Roberts has tried to do the best he can to validate his decision on pulling Kershaw after being in a perfect game through seven innings.
2: 13 strikeouts, um, 80 pitches.
7: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I I just can't buy it. Um, I, I, I think it was a terrible decision. He tries to make it. I'm looking out for my player. To your point, Mike, he had thrown 80 pitches. Now, he says he had a conversation with Kershaw. Kershaw says, I could go one more inning. You know, put me in the 80-85 pitch realm. But when you've got a perfect game, Mike, through seven innings at 80 pitches, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to let you go out in the eighth and at least see what goes on. If if it's taking you eight pitches to ten pitches to get each guy out, if you give up a hit, of course you're getting pulled. But you, how he has the, the capability to sit there in the dugout and not even allow this kid to come out in the eighth.
2: Well, that's the Mike, thing. He's not a kid. Uh, he's a grown man.
7: Well, that's a good point. I mean, he's got a no-hitter in his belt. He's got an MVP in his belt. He's got a World Series in his belt. And, and to not give him an opportunity, Mike, the perfect game is much different even than the no-hitter. I mean, he was pitching unbelievably. And even if you think he's starting to tailor – I mean, Robert's had the audacity, Mike, to sit there and go, well – I was talking to the catcher. He's starting to lose his stuff a little bit. I'm sorry. 13 Ks, 80 pitches. Your team's now up seven to nothing. They had just hit back to back to back home runs. You let this guy take a shot, Mike, in the eighth, and you maybe he gets three outs in six pitches. You don't know.
2: Right. I'll I tell you. I, yeah. I mean. 80 pitches, he goes out there. If he gives up a hit, you get him right out of there. I mean, if he gives up the hit to a leadoff hit or a walk, you get him right out of the game. You go until he's showing that he gives up a hit, and then you can. the, the conversation's over. Of course. I don't like the has- fact, though, that Kershaw almost seemed like he was on board with it, like he was taking their side, like, well, you know, uh, we got bigger things. Dude, you've accomplished everything. You've won a World Series. you got in a, only 23 perfect games ever. You could have been and one of them. And we're back. You know? So I, I I would have liked to have seen Kershaw at least stand up for himself.
7: Well, the problem is, Mike, if he stood up for himself, he already knows how that's going to play out. I don't know if you remember, but was it last year or the year before, Rich Hill similar scenario rich hill's going for a perfect game and roberts takes him out i think that was in the playoffs i believe and he took him out of the game rich hill i mean hit a fit i mean he was absolutely angered and i think kershaw's got that mentality and demeanor of i'm gonna protect you i get it coach i we did have a conversation. i mean he knows he had the conversation with roberts so he doesn't want to throw him under the bus But he did say, sure, would I have liked a shot? Of course. I just, this Roberts, man, and again, we talk about this, but this goes deeper than Roberts, Mike. This goes to the analytics, all the numbers. Don't let your pitcher pitch more than this many pitches. Don't let him see a lineup more than twice through the lineup. I absolutely hate it, Mike. And you know I do because I've talked about it with you off the off the air.
2: Oh, I don't like it either. I mean, I think it's preposterous. No, no, no. But this is, to me, the Dodgers, to me, are the poster child for overthinking. They have the most talented rostered, but they employ – and look, they're really good. They win a lot of games, but they've only won one World Series by being the best team. I think they overthink it too much. They are allowing themselves – to come down. They are playing down to their competition instead of beating them as the more talented team. They're allowing the analytics to bring them down to teams that aren't as talented at them. They're taking their more talented players out because the numbers are telling them to. Teams like the Rays and Oakland, San Francisco, they're not as talented, so they have to do gimmicky things. L.A. has the most talent. You don't need a gimmick to be the best. And I think that's why they have been upset, what, in the last six years? They've only got the one World Series to show for it. Well, right.
7: They make it to the NLCS. They make it to the World Series. They're not able to get over the hump except the one year. And, Mike, to me, baseball is about moments.
2: But the real thing on that, and they've been the best team almost every single time.
7: Most wins going into the playoffs, right? Yeah, there's no question. And, And, but... But to me, baseball is about moments, Mike. And to say we're here for bigger things, of course you are. Everybody's trying to get that World Series. The Dodgers are one of a few baseball teams that will have the opportunity to do that this year. But, Mike, Kershaw could get injured in a month and a half. Uh, another player could go down with injury. I talked about this trade.
2: last hour, Todd. I talked about it. By the way. If Clayton Kershaw, if they lose a game, is either up 7-0. And, and that game's inconsequential, right? It, it, nothing's changing because of that game, what happened yesterday. They're going to make the playoffs no matter what happens. And if Clayton Kershaw, we have to stop playing sports, preparing for the worst. All sports now prepare for the, well, we can't throw guys because he might get hurt. Well, we can't play guys because they might. We have to load manage because they might get Everything we do in sports now is preparing for the worst-case scenario, and it's just ruining it.
7: And not only that, Mike, we're coddling the athletes. We're allowing the athletes, and I'm not saying this in, in the instance of Kershaw, but we're allowing athletes to dictate, hey, man, I need a day off. Whoa, my, my knee's a little sore today. I mean, we, we talk about Ripken's record. That That's not going to be broken. No. These guys aren't even allowed to, to play. Play an entire season without taking a day off
2: well and it's a it's another thing you are robbing a lot of the great players the opportunity to be immortal Correct. right yes i can't play every night so i can't compile the stats to be memorable i'll never surpass somebody because i'm only playing 75 percent of the games how am i going to beat any records when i never play i mean there were pitchers back in the day mike
7: that would pitch a complete game throwing 150 pitches right now I get it. The evolution of science, the evolution of the bodies. Everybody's throwing harder. I get it, and I know Kershaw's injury previously was in the arm, right? The the, the shoulder, the elbow. He's had injuries on that arm. I get it. You He's coming off right, and he bit- is
2: coming off elbow problems last year that prevented him from pitching in the World Series.
7: And so, most the I guess the other take that other people would take is to say, well, this is just one game. You're trying to give him this, this individual accolade at the cost of maybe him blowing out his arm for the year. Well, if you're telling me, Mike, that 15 to 20 more pitches is going to blow out his arm for the year, then he shouldn't even be on the mound.
2: Right. That's a good that, point. You know, and look, baseball's got enough problems trying to connect. They could use any positive reason for their game to get the first highlight on SportsCenter right? I mean, that's what it's about. Everything is what highlight, because nobody's watching him throw a, a a perfect game, but if I'm watching Center or TikTok or my highlights, wherever I may get them, I need that moment to filter everybody's social media feed. Instead, I got the ass clown manager saying why I took him out of the game instead of letting him do something that's only been done 23 times in the history of your game.
7: And Mike, to your point, you get to the eighth inning, guess what happens? That game goes on ESPN if it isn't already, and and you are getting the viewers to watch because everybody's now in, in, ingrained and engrossed in this history-making possibility, right? You get to the eighth inning, we're tracking every pitch, we're tracking every out that he gets. They lost that opportunity, Mike. And and then and then I only heard it as an afterthought. I got something pop up on my phone. It says, bonehead play by Dodgers manager costs Kershaw perfect game. I mean, basically saying, what is this manager doing?
2: Yeah. Uh, by I mean, the way, the just, Dodgers, yeah. just to go back to, like, the whole analytics thing, they have been the first place team in the West, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, They were second place last year. So eight straight years they won the division, and they only have one World Series to show for it. They were upset in the NLCS, the DS, the DS, the CS. They lost in the World Series twice. They lost in the DS to the Nationals. They won the World Series, and then last year they lost in the CS. They were the better team in every single time that they lost, I think. I don't think there was a time where they weren't the favorite to win, and this is where we say, like, You've allowed the analytics to bring the more talented team down to the level of the lesser team.
7: I I mean, they they made some absolute uh, questionable calls in big games in the playoffs over the last six, eight years. Yeah. Now, most teams would love that resume you just wrote, Sure, of course they would. Of course. But when you're talking L.A., you're talking the Yankees, you're talking these type of teams, Mike, the expectations are higher, the payrolls are a lot higher, and when you make these little moves that you're
2: saying that you're bringing another team into the game. But your when payroll, a- you have a payroll, but you're treating your team like your payroll is Tampa Bay. Yeah. Tampa Bay has to be gimmicky because their payroll is $60 million. You have two guys making $60 million. You shouldn't be playing Tampa Bay's style of game. You, you're just better than them. You have more talent than them. They have to use that style because their talent is simply not there. The Dodgers are allowing themselves to play down to their competition as opposed to, hey, we're just more talented than you. Sorry. Yeah.
7: No, it, it, I'll tell you, it burned me last night, I'll Ooh. be honest with you. You're angry. There's been, there, well, I mean, it was just – it was disgusting to me. We're starting the season off. you got an opportunity like that, Mike, to really – and not only that, if if he does do it, Mike – Just the the emotion of the city, of the team to start the season. By the way, Kershaw is the beloved son out here, right? He's gone through a lot of hardships. He's always stuck with the Dodgers. And and you got a guy that comes back from injury and in his first start this year could turn it into a perfect game. I mean, what a story that is. And the manager took that opportunity away.
2: Yep. I mean, this is a guy that's accomplished everything, and he could have done something that is almost immortal, throw a perfect game. I mean, that just doesn't happen.
7: And, Mike, you know, Kershaw got a lot of the the raw end of the stick when it came to the playoffs. He was almost referred to in past years like a Peyton Manning who couldn't win the big game, right? Yep. And then he finally gets that championship. Everybody's happy for him. And now he's got this opportunity this year, which, by the way, most wouldn't have thought he'd ever get an opportunity to throw a perfect game in his career now in these latter years and his first game, and you do that to him. And, Mike, and and put us in this same situation, let's say, in another month. Let's say Kershaw's in this same scenario. This Roberts is going to do the same exact thing? you tell telling me he's not going to leave
2: him in to give him a chance at a perfect game in another month? Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem that he's the kind of guy that learns from these analytical mistakes. And it doesn't mean they're always all wrong or I'm not saying because, you know, I just, again, I mean, this is Clint Kirsch always a 34-year-old man. You're treating him like he's a 18-year-old kid. Well, 80 pitches, we got to get you out of here.
7: It. it I, look, he erred on the side of caution. I think in that scenario, and I'm not saying you don't err on the side of caution to help your players, but in that scenario... The man is six outs away from a perfect game. Yeah, and like you said, twenty-three times in the history of baseball, and you don't give him that opportunity. Even I, that really—it it was disappointing. I'll tell you that.
2: All right, uh, the NBA playoffs on Friday. Um, no Lakers, which was another disaster out there. Frank Vogel fired. The way that all went down seemed to be a shameful way. They put the blame on that guy. Of course. I mean, I'm I've glad to- they're
7: not. I will say I'm glad they're not in the playoffs, though, Mike. I didn't even want to deal with the fiasco that was the Lakers this year. They were checked out. Their comments that have come out after the season are extremely poor. I don't care for them. <laughs> and, you know, and like you said, they get rid of Vogel. I mean, look, they needed to the change. But I don't blame necessarily Vogel for all that not. went down. No, I mean, no, of
2: course my- not. Vogel, and um... He's a good coach. Yeah, I mean, again, he's, he's my poster child for the NBA coach. I mean, you know... He, he had a good team in uh, he had a good team in Indiana. He was a good coach. He had a horrible team in uh, Orlando. He was a horrible coach. He went to L.A. He won a championship. All of a sudden, he doesn't know what he's doing, and it's his fault. Come on, it's ridiculous.
7: <laughs> and and now I'm hearing I'm hearing whispers of like a Nick Nurse. Well, they're talking that about Doc names. Rivers. Yeah, these names are out there, Mike. These now, now is Doc Rivers in the conversation? If the Sixers get bounced, first round, second round.
2: Well, his or name it's has it's, come up already that the Lakers have interest in him regardless but, but, of what goes on say, here.
7: But how does that work? Let's say the Sixers make it to the NBA Finals.
2: Well, that might change the narrative a little bit, but right. um, who knows? I mean, the Sixers, they're playing the Raptors here. Do you like that matchup? <laughs> I know
7: you don't. <laughs> what do we get? No thiable for away well, games?
2: He doesn't play in Toronto.
7: That's not going to be good. Now, I still think you're more talented. I think I think the Sixers should win this series, but I do think it's going to
2: take them possibly seven games to do it. Well, right. I mean, you got Harden and B. The question is, what Harden are you getting? The guy that you've gotten has not been the Harden that you know. I've never been a big Harden guy, right? I mean, is it the talent or is it the mental? Strength in his game, Mike. right? Well, this comment he made, you know, is the pressure on you. He says, uh, you know, there's no pressure. I, I'm just doing my thing out there. I mean, this laissez-faire. He's never been in a place where the scrutiny's as big as it is here. You know? Yeah.
7: And that's going to be. And you've got a guy in Embiid, an MVP type player who's been locked in all year. He wants a guy that's in the same mentality as him, Mike. And and again. I don't know if Harden is, and Harden's in for another year, right? Right.
2: So, well, Harden, Harden's in a weird situation. He's got his he has a a player option. He can opt back in. So the Sixers are going to have to decide whether they want to pay him two hundred and fifty, two hundred twenty-five million. Now he right. said today, you know, he was asked, "Hey, you feeling any pressure?" He said, "Nope, I feel good. I'm ready to hoop." Said his hamstring's healthy. He shot down any questions on that. You know. I don't know. Is the guy just out of shape? Look, to me, James Harden is a – we had the discussion years ago. Obviously, from that time to where he is now, he has become a much more high-profile player. When he left Oklahoma City and then he went to the, the, the Rockets, he got his own team. But you can make the argument that he is almost more recognizable for the playoff failures that he has had with his teams than anything else. What memorable moment does he have in his career? Well, in in regards to a game, right? He doesn't have
7: that signature moment in the playoffs. He has some right? signature
2: losses.
7: Well, of course, and and look, all oh guy, look, great, great players tell you, I'm going to fail. I'm going to have some big losses
2: in order to get right, there. But a but- lot of the great players erase those losses with wins that make you say, "Oh, he had to lose that game. He had to lose this game to get there." Harden hasn't had that moment where. Oh, he had to lose that 3-1 series lead to Golden State, and then the next year he learned. You no, know, he keeps losing those series.
7: Well, and, and he's running out of time, Mike.
2: He's running I mean, out I, of time.
7: The reality is he's running out of time, and he's running out of excuses. I mean, that's bigger than that. It's, it's. I've been moved around to different teams. Am I the problem? Well, he didn't Are get,
2: he... he's not, I've been moved around to different well, teams. He's. That... I've been asking to be moved around to different teams. So
7: then the question is, right, I mean, it, who's the problem, right? And that he's got to look in the mirror, and again, this is an opportunity, Mike. The Sixers have a really, really, really good team. He's got another star on the team with him. You know, he hit that MVP caliber type of player for a few years, Harden did. He's coming down from that slightly, but he has the ability, Mike, on any given night to be the best player on the floor. Yeah. And, and he's got to show that this 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 playoffs. I mean – He's got Embiid, but he, every now and then, has to be the best player on the Sixers. Do you he think, has to.
2: All right, so there's some talk about Ben Simmons might be able to come back somewhere around game four. Does he change, make any impact? Does he change that series at all? Do you think the Celtics are the favorite? Do you think the Nets are the favorite? I mean, this one's kind of interesting here. It is,
7: and, man, it's tough because I, I don't love Simmons coming in raw in, onto a team in the playoffs when they've got a little more of cohesiveness working right now between Irving and, um, and Durant. But what I will say is this. He's a talented player. I've never been a Simmons guy, but I know what he brings to the game.
2: They're talking if about him coming back you know, and playing like 15, 20 minutes, just playing defense, kind of being in that role where, hey, we don't need you to score. Just go out there and defend Tatum or go out there and defend Smart or go out there and defend Jalen Brown.
7: And and in that role, Mike, it may fit and work good enough for this team. Irving and Durant, Mike, right now look to be the two best players in the playoffs. I mean, it's these guys are closers like we don't see very often in the game. I nope. mean, the Durant, his shot is pure. You like I, there's, the Nets. I, it's
2: unbelievable. You like the Nets I mean, to win that series?
7: I'll tell you, I, look, I, I know it's tough. It's going back and forth. I think it started Nets with a favorite. Now they're not. I think I got to lean to the Nets in seven, Mike. And <laughs> I just, if you're giving me Durant and Irving versus, versus Boston's big two, and you're telling me at the end of the game who's going to win it. Hey, look, this is Tatum's opportunity, right, Mike?
2: I was if say, he takes it, this is where Tatum could go yeah. from where he is now to, and put himself on that next level. This is the level that Harden hasn't been able to get to.
7: No question. So it'll be a fun series, and I think Tatum is up for the challenge. The question is, can him and Brown be as good as Irving and Durant late if these games are close? Who makes the big shots? Ooh. We already know Durant's made those shots, Mike. Right, that, series,
2: that series is one to watch.
7: I mean, what are, you, what are you leaning as you look at that series to start? Boston as a team is better, but when you put two names like Durant and Irving on a, on a court together healthy, it's hard not to bet
2: on Last thing, real quick. What do you make of... <laughs> now, Utah is mountain time, right? Is it? Or Dallas. Dallas. What's Dallas? Dallas is, Dallas is oh, mountain Dallas time. Dallas is is central time, right? All right. So that well, Dallas game is a 12 o'clock game. Not, I thought the game was in Utah. I was going to say, what do you think about a playoff game starting at 11 in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> but it's Let's Dallas get- time. So that would be a 1 o'clock east. That's that's a central start, I believe, in Dallas. That would be a noon start. I thought they really gave them the old, you know, Scroogey. And, and by the way, no, that's Luka. not good for them. With Luka
7: being injured, that's not good for them either. I can't imagine he's going to play that game one. I know they're saying they're going to try to get him ready to, to for a go. I mean, if I'm Dallas, Nuh-uh. I know I know it's a critical game, but I think you, gotta, you can't have him play in that
2: game. And Curry looks like he's going to play. He will play. That's what it looks so, like. So that's impressive. Yeah, that's
7: important. I mean, again, these matchups are going to be great. These playing games have been, you know, I know last night they were blowouts overall, but, you know, they've been fun to watch. Minnesota, big, you know, that was to me an upset over the Clippers. Yeah. And now the Clippers have a tough game against New Orleans.
2: All right, there we go. We'll talk more playoffs uh, next week here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. They all start Saturday. By the way, Sixers game six would be on the same night as the NBA draft, that's a thumbs down. <laughs> Terrible. The NBA put four games on draft night. That's just a bad job by them.
7: Why well, don't they? They intertwine them. They enter, like halftime. Don't they do some stuff before game halftime?
2: Hey, you can't all have that your games on the same night as the draft. The draft is on from <laughs> seven to midnight. I mean, come on. That draft is going to just engulf. Enco- it's just going to engulf the audience. You love that draft. Well, you know that they're going to get ten to 50. they're going to get double digit people, million people watching that. The NBA playoffs are going to get two million, and then you're giving you're making people choose. You're going to lose that battle. That's a poor decision. Yeah, but you can't you, know, you keep lengthening these playoffs, Mike. Now you got the playoffs. I got games. an idea. The, the Sixers <laughs> play Monday, then they're off till Thursday. I got an idea. How about trying Wednesday when the NFL draft decides they're going to go on Thursday? I'll move my games to Wednesday. How about that? <laughs> Is. All right. You got,
7: they're making you make a tough decision.
2: A very tough decision. <laughs> All right. Good, good luck with that. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. That's Todd Rank. All right. When we come back, Leo Rawtons, he is the color analyst for the Toronto Raptors television broadcast. He's going to join us, give us some insight on the Raptors next here on the Sports Bash. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. ESPN. Hey, we have another chance for you to pick your trip coming up. Qualifier at 555. Listen for your sounder to go off when you hear it. Be the seventh caller, and you can pick an Eagles Road game this year, Saturday, 6 o'clock, right here on 97.3 ESPN. For the third time in the playoffs, Sixers Raptors. Both series went seven games. Any reason to think it won't go seven again? Let's break it down. Uh, Leo Routens covers the uh, Raptors he is the color analyst on Raptors television broadcast and of course uh, these two teams uh, know each other pretty well Leo uh, a couple years ago in the playoffs we know how that went a quadruple doink uh, goes down Toronto wins the championship but this is a much different team however they always seem to be a thorn in the side of the Sixers aren't they yeah it's kind of interesting how this is all playing out I mean the uh, the two series
8: you mentioned before all came down to a seventh game buzzer beater. And uh, here you have two teams that uh, really match up. You wouldn't think it would be as uh, tight as it is, but for whatever reason, you know, despite the fact of Philadelphia having, you know, one of the top bigs in the game and Joel Embiid and James Harden, who came over midseason, uh, the Raptors have played really well against this team. And I, I think a big part of that is the scheming of their head coach, Nick Nurse. I mean, he just does a tremendous job of just making it as difficult as, can, as he can for the stars of Philadelphia. And so far, at least in a regular season, it's been successful.
2: Um, I want to get your thoughts on this Harden uh, and B duo and the challenges that, you know, it brings to the defense. Uh, I know it's been short, but what do you anticipate – uh, do you see any changes possibly coming from Doc Rivers or you, do you uh, they are what they are. They're hardened and in beat and they're going to be a handful or do you, do you think there is uh something that you've seen since they've been together that maybe Nick Nurse can come up with to kind of try to slow them down or neutralize them a bit?
8: Well, you know, from Philadelphia's standpoint, Doc Rivers' standpoint, I I think it's they are what they are, right? And uh I think that, you know, Doc is – i uh, been, you know, working on different things during a regular season. I think at times it's been a struggle, um, but at the same time, you're talking about two supremely talented players. Uh, as far as Nick Nurse goes, uh, you know, he, he's just tried to make it extremely difficult for them to get comfortable uh, with Joel Embiid. Uh, there's double teams, there's different looks, there's uh, a lot of quickness that gets thrown at them. If you look at the Raptors lineup, there's really no true big man, no seven footer, uh, and so everybody's uh, pretty much. A power forward at best uh but you've got a lot of guys at the same length they're quick they're aggressive they try to take the space away uh if he gets in the post they try to make him pass out uh and then with harden it's kind of you know he, he, again he's a player that loves to get to the free throw line and what you can't do is bail him out right you can't get the straight line drives uh you can't you can't bite on the fakes you can't reach stick your hand in there where he's gonna bait you and get to the free throw line And for both of these guys, the Raptors have had success in, you know, bringing their percentages down, uh, increasing their turnovers, uh, and just making their their life a little bit more difficult. So, you know, so far, so good. But, you know, in the playoffs, postseason, that's a different world, right?
2: Yeah, man. Uh, Leo, you just saw James and the Sixers recently. Uh, They were in Toronto a couple weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago. Are you looking at the same James Harden that you saw, you know, uh, in Houston? Or is this a different guy? Well, you know, honestly, I think he's he's
8: played a dangerous game with his body. Uh, you know, one, he's not getting any younger, and two, you know, over the years, he's, or at least in the last few years, where he's looked like he's been out of shape, and maybe that's contractually trying to get force his hand on, uh, you know, teams to make him move him. Uh, but then you try to get back in shape again. He's had a hamstring injury, you know, uh, more, you know more than once. I think all that catches up with you. Uh, you know, you look at some of the guys that have had great success in this league. The older they get, you know, the leaner they get, the conditioning is better. Uh, You know, they really learn how to take care of their bodies. And at least in my opinion, watching James Harden, I think he hasn't done that. Uh, And I think that's kind of catching up with him. So, I mean, hey, again, he's still, like I said, supremely talented. He's very strong. Um, You know, he, he knows how to play within what he has. But watching him there's definitely, uh, you know, his game has slowed down a little bit, and and, and uh, some of that uh, explosiveness that we saw in, our, in our earlier years is not quite there.
2: All right, uh, Embiid is obviously a problem for everybody. He would be a problem for Toronto, but um, Nick Nurse is very uh, eclectic with his defensive schemes, and I find it to be an interesting, like, who does Embiid match up with when he's on defense? So uh, how do you see the Embiid matchup, for both sides of the ball here?
8: Well, that, that's a problem, right? So, you know, obviously Embiid's a huge problem for the Raptors, and they, they kind of do it by committee. Uh, and again, they'll just try to get the ball out of his hands as much as possible and make it very uncomfortable for him. Uh, on the flip side, uh, if you look back on that series uh, in 2019, uh, a lot of times Embiid was matched up with uh, Pascal Siakam. And, you know, Pascal Siakam is just a young guy in the league and, and kind of finding himself. Uh, and, 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 and B kind of gave him the shot, gave him the mid range, gave him the, uh, you know, the inside, the three point shot. Uh, and Pascal Siakam's a different player right now. Since the All Star, All Star break, he's pretty much been all NBA level. And, and if you can't, you can't really give him anything uh, because he's become a, you know, he's just become a dynamic scorer and he's going to take that shot. And if you come and get him, he's going to put the ball in attack. So, regardless of who Embiid covers, Uh, Any one of the guys he's covering can step outside and shoot uh, and score, uh, and they can also put the ball on the floor and attack. So uh, I'm sure they're going to, you know, they'll try to put Embiid in pick and roll situations and make it as difficult uh, as possible for him to sit back. uh, And, and again, he he really can't sit back with the guys he's going to have to guard.
2: Yeah, now Van Vliet did not play in the game uh, recently, and I find him to be a big matchup problem because obviously Harden's not a good defender. I wouldn't imagine that. Max, he's young. He tries hard. But um, I-, I feel like that's an area, too, where he could probably pick on whoever's defending him.
8: Yeah, I mean, Fred's an all-star, and he's had a great year. Uh, and-, and, you know, to the Raptors, I guess, advantage at this point, you know, he hasn't played – since April 5th. So he's had some time to rest He, he banged up his knee. Uh, he says he's feeling really good right now. Like, obviously you don't know how that plays out, but he's feeling pretty good right now. And I guess, I guess the one point I can make is the one game he did play against Philadelphia this season. He had 32, he knocked down six threes and the Raptors were plus 14 when he was on the floor. So, you know, he's an impact guy. Um, and one of the things you see with the Raptors is like, everybody's kind of the same size, right? Everybody's kind of the same length. Yep. Uh Fred's not. Fred's uh, Fred's a short guard. But much like you know Philadelphia product Kyle Lowry, you know, you can't post up Kyle Lowry. You can't post up Fred. There there's just a toughness to these guys. So he can switch in all the scenarios the big switch. Um and and, and hold his own. So defensively he creates uh you know, he, he, he adds a lot to this team too, as well as spacing on the floor with his three point shot and, and driving. So uh, you know, if he's, you know, and the Raptors need him to be healthy, right? I mean, they're, they need him to be as close to
2: 100% as he can be. Okay, other than Embiid and Harden, because obviously that could be an easy answer, where is there a matchup that, you're, that you think Nick is like, this is one that we got to figure something out?
8: Uh, well, I, I'm looking at Maxi as being a X X factor, right? Uh, you know, he's a talented young player. Uh, he's put up good numbers against the Raptors this season. Uh, and he's a player that you you know you're, you you got to remember you're giving something up right if you're going to get the ball out of Harden's hands you're going to get the ball out of Embiid's hands you're giving something up and somebody's got to step up and make shots uh, you know uh, Tybo's not not taking shots he's not uh, and he's not going to be available for some of the games in in Toronto so uh, you know he's not taking shots the other one has to be you know Tobias Harris I mean Tobias Harris uh, not only has to you know make shots. In the body of the game, but he's got to be a guy that uh, can make some shots when the game is on the line, uh, because the Raptors will put him in those situations. Uh, you know, if you go again, go back to 2019, there were games where he had tremendous numbers, uh, but you know, when when the ball came to him, when it when it was really important to make some shots, he struggled in in that area. So uh, you know that those are going to be you know that'll be the direction. The ball is going to go to, and you know, some of these guys are going
2: to have to step up. Hey, Leo, with the you know the athletic wings, as uh, you mentioned, everyone's about the same size? They do a lot. We saw him the other day. Chua, I mean, he hit like five threes the other night in the game up in Toronto. How impactful is the Thibel thing, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I, I that he's the one guy, they a... knowing that he's the one guy they have that can lock down and play defense.
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it is impactful. Uh, I mean, losing you're losing, a, you're losing a, a key player. You're losing a guy that uh, you know can take pressure off of, of Harden at the defensive end of the floor. Uh, can guard the other team's best best player. Uh, if you look at Feibel's numbers against various Raptors, uh, you know he's had a lot of success. Um, you know, again, it, he can be a liability at the offensive end. But then if hey if Embiid and Harden are rolling, and Tobias Harris and Maxie are making their shots. It's really not that big a deal if Thibel's making shots or not. But at the same time, uh, you know, his defense is, a, is, I think, is a huge factor. And uh, hopefully it's something the Raptors are going to be able to take advantage of in his absence.
2: Now, Theibel apparently had been asked by his teammates about you know, getting the shot. And he's, apparently it was like the percentage of playing Toronto seemed to be remote. And then at the last couple days, it kind of snuck on him. So how did Toronto kind of slowly make its climb from a play-in team to where they are right now? What, what has changed for them that they really started to take off here in the last month and a half?
8: Well, I'll tell you, there's two factors. Um, you know, they would not be in a position to take off and be where they are if it wasn't for Fred VanVleet for the first half of the season. Uh, he kept this team afloat. You know, Pascal Siakam didn't start playing until November because of surgery. You know, OGN and Obi was out. You had Ken Birch out. You had a lot of guys in and out of the lineup. And and there was no consistency. And you had new faces like a, a rookie like Scotty Barnes. The one factor was, was Fred. He kept the team within striking distance. And the bottom line is from that point on, all-star break uh, beyond, uh, everybody's for the most part, been healthy. Uh, OGN and Anobi's missed some games. Uh, Gary Trent Jr.'s missed some games. But for the most part, the roster has been healthy. And everybody's played to potential or better. Uh, like I said, Pascal Siakam, nobody knew what was, was going to happen with him coming back this year. Uh, he's had a couple of seasons where it's been a struggle. And coming back with shoulder sur- surgery. But he's been a monster. He's been an absolute monster. So he's exceeded what maybe anybody expected. Uh, you know, based on what what's been happening, and you know Gary Trent Jr. has been outstanding. Uh, like you mentioned, Precious Achiu. I mean, he t- he took one three last season, and now he's just rolling. He's knocking down like threes every game. Crazy, uh, playing at a really high level. So I, I think that that's been the key. This team is finally healthy and finally uh, clicking, and everybody's playing at a good pace and good level. And and I tell you what, they get after it defensively. That's their kind of their hallmark, right? So uh, they realize that um, they they can't win and they can't compete unless they're the uh, the nastiest and most aggressive team in a defensive end. And when they do that, they're really good.
2: Well, I sure hope DeAndre Jordan doesn't see the floor in this series because uh, the Sixers lost the series in Toronto. I'm not saying because of Greg Monroe, but any time Embiid came off the floor in that series a couple of years ago, it was a disaster, and it's a similar disaster now. With the backup center situation, so that's just another thing to kind of keep an eye on, I would imagine.
8: Well, yeah, I mean, we, you know, when, Bede, when Embiid's on the floor, the Sixers, you know, are a better team offensively. Now, the only the only caveat to that, as far as the Raptors go, it's been the same. When he's on the floor, the Sixers are better, but he's his you know his percentages and his turnovers are are up against the Raptors yeah, uh, or percentages down turnovers up. So, you know, the Raptors have to try to make sure that that continues to happen. Um, uh, you know, cause obviously he's, uh, you know, if the big guy gets gone, you know, that's, that's a major, major issue because the Raptors don't have that, you know, a few years ago you had Marcus right. Uh, and, and then you had Serge Ibaka yep. and, you know, remember, I think it was, uh, you know, game five in the series and, you know, the Raptors were struggling with the length and the size of Philadelphia and they all of a sudden decided, okay, you know, we'll put Gasol and Ibaka on the floor at the same time, which they had not done almost the entire season. Yeah. Uh, the Raptors don't have that option now, right? Everything relies on quickness and speed. So, uh, you know, Embiid, Embiid's going to be a handful, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out.
2: Saturday, 6 o'clock, right here, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, the matchup the Sixers probably did not want, but uh, here it is, and it's all here on 97.3. Leo, we appreciate the time, pal. My pleasure. Have a great one. Uh, former Sixer draft pick Leo Routens, the uh, color analyst and studio analyst for Toronto Raptors games on Sportsnet and TSN in Canada, giving us the insight there. And keep this in mind. We had talked before, and he just mentioned it. You remember in that series, they went Gasol big, right? And and um, oh, who's the other guy he mentioned? Um Ibaka, Serge Ibaka. They went, when the Sixers, you remember, people were applauding Brett Brown for making that adjustment. And then he, Nick Nurse, made the adjustment after game five, and he said, all right, well, then I'm going to go double big, see what you do to that. And the Sixers didn't really have an answer. Could Doc Rivers go Paul Reed and Joel Embiid? Doubtful, but it's a thought. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Closing out the show coming up. Now, to more
1: Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader.
2: Hey, it's Mike Gill. I want to tell you about my friend, Dr. Paul Lewis over at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. You've been hearing me talk about the allergy issues and basically the elimination of them is the only Premier clinic for allergy elimination, Lyme disease. It has effective treatment of chronic mold, all food and environmental allergies. It's the only clinic in New Jersey to fully treat the red meat allergy known as Alpha Gal. Seafood, shellfish, dog hair, cat hair, sneezing sniffles, scratchy eyes. If you have allergy issues, there's only one call to make to eliminate them. Dr. Paul Lewis, 856-285-4788. I've gone there. I've got the procedure done i say procedure harmless no pain quick easy in and out you probably will be there for no longer than a half an hour unless you have really 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 bad allergies and he's saying hey you got 15 different allergies but that doesn't mean there's any pain there's no nothing really i mean i was in and out in the day i coached a baseball game that night in and out eight five six two eight five forty seven eighty eight quick and easy get in get out And get over these allergy issues. You don't have to live with allergies. And I can tell you, I used to and I no longer do. And that's thanks to South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. All right, we got uh, game night coming up. What's today? Thursday, Steve Buchanan going to talk a little baseball, right? Uh, Phillies and uh, Marlins, 645.
3: Yes, you know, Steve Buchanan from DraftKings Figure mixing a baseball guy in this week because... You know, with the Sixers having an entire week off before their playoff game and we're two weeks out from the NFL draft, you know, I feel like every time I come in here is a baseball topic coming up. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, I know that the Phillies have had uh, a house of horrors down there uh, in um, Miami, Miami, and It's it's their opener, home opener tonight, too. I hear the crowd's supposed to be pretty good. We'll see. Which is opposed to whenever you go down there and you play a game and it's empty.
3: Well, I want to know what what is good for Miami. Is it like half full? 70%? I read on
2: Twitter from one of the beat guys. I think Matt Gelb, who said there were people already in the third deck.
3: Wow, which never happens. That's impressive. Yeah,
2: so we'll see. I wonder
3: what the promotion is down there for opening day. Opening day—that's
2: the promotion. You don't need a promotion for opening day. It's opening day. Oh, no, it's Miami. Come on. Get the people out there. Uh, they're one in three, by the way. I think or one in four to start the season. Phillies are three and three, and it's uh, Gibson and uh, Alcantara is pitching for Miami tonight. All right, that's our show tonight. I'll be back tomorrow for Happy Hour Friday. But before we roll, I've got one more chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip. Caller seven six zero nine. 0973, caller number 7, you're a qualifier if you're caller 7 you are qualified for Pick Your Trip, where you can win a trip for two to the Eagles road game of your choice, which includes airfare, hotel, a hotel stay pregame tailgate party two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice that's all thanks to Philly Sports Trips go to phillysportstrip.com It's also brought to you by Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. You must be present to win at Slack-Tide Brewing Company on Thursday, April 28th. For the show, one lucky winner will get the chance to pick their trip. Caller number seven, good luck. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Game night's next.